Hey, I'm J.D. Webb, your host and producer for Got Mead Live. I'm here with the owner of Got Mead, Vicki Rowe, and of course, accomplished mead and winemaker, A.J. Ermans. Tonight, we'll be talking with an award-winning mead maker who took his first sip in 1995, became a skilled mead maker, and then started a highly successful meadery in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Plus, Ask Oscar. Oscar talks about honey tonight on Ask Oscar, all that and more on Got Mead Live. So grab your glass of mead and join us. We'll be right back. And uh, we usually start to show off with, you know, what we're drinking. And Mm-hmm. I gotta, I, I gotta do this, okay? I gotta throw a shout out to Daniel at Valley Beverage. I was at a restaurant with my wife on Sunday. Across the street is this small little liquor store uh, that had been under renovation. So we thought, well, let's go across over there and uh, and check it out. And I walked in and I found the mother load. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you just needed to look different places. I'm telling you, (laughs) after all this time, you know, uh, and I I mean, instantly, I mean, he took me right over to the mead shelf and I mean, just Redstone and Moonlight and Chaucer and just several other, uh, just, you know, looked like the mother load to me after after all this time looking for it. But uh, (laughs) so so tonight, okay, I am drinking a Moonlight Meadery Fling. It's a strawberry uh, rhubarb. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't say whether it's sweet or not. It's kind of a semi-sweet. It's 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 very good. It's not actually. super sweet. Yeah, it's 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 on, it's on the it's on the dry side of semi-sweet. If I remember right. Yeah, it uh, it tastes very good, and uh, this is the kind of uh, this is the kind of meat that I enjoy drinking. Um, uh, you know, it's got a it's got a kind of a tartness to it that uh, that's very good, and of course, it being you know we've had hundred degree weather out here for the last few days, uh, this is a very refreshing drink. Uh, you know, on a hot summer day. Yeah, I just wish I could get it in growlers. You know, I mean, three seventy fives. Yeah, hello, not big uh, enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> AJ, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a raspberry Joe's Ancient Orange variant that I made. I started it like five years ago. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and, it's uh, aged really nicely. And uh, Vicky, you're drinking uh, something from the West Coast. San Fran- from San Francisco because, you know, no meat in California because that's what you're always bitching about. I keep telling you <laughs> you're wrong. You're, you're finding out. Man sits around constantly, y'all. He says... I can't find any meat out here. I'm like, dude, you're in California. It's there. Trust me. And he's like, uh-uh, I can't find it. So you got to shut up about that now, JD. Um, I, I, I swear, I've looked under every rock behind every corner and just, you know. You've just been looking under the wrong rocks and into wrong corners. I kept telling you, but you wouldn't listen to me. Um, I am drinking uh, San Francisco Meadery's apple pie because I don't have any Kurt's apple pie from Moonlight. So I'm going to have to get my butt down to Total Wine again, but I haven't had a chance to get 
down there lately. But this is really nice. It's very, it's rich. It's, it's uh, uh, lots of apple flavors, sweet on the front and tart in the back. And the honey just kind of hangs out in the middle. And it's, um, it's on the sweet side of semi-sweet, but not all the way sweet. There are spices in there, giving it this sort of smoky character. And it's just, it's really smooth and, and almost buttery. It's, it's just got great texture. I love it. I mean, it's, it's really, really good. Sounds like it would go well with a piece of pumpkin pie. Oh, yeah. This would go really well with a piece of pumpkin pie or awesome. pretty much anything else. I, you know, I'd really like this with uh, a really nice, um, it'd be really good with pork. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. And like a really nice, like smoked pork loin. I'd oh, be God, yeah. really good with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you sit right again. in the <laughs> 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 and you sit right in the middle of uh, barbecue country, so. <laughs> That's right. Just because we understand that barbecue is a noun, not a verb. <laughs> Welcome. You don't, uh, you, you don't barbecue, you eat barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome My in-laws would agree. Yeah. They make barbecue. <laughs> Uh, welcome to God Meat Live. As you can tell, it's always party night on Tuesday nights here at God Meat Live. Hey, uh, the website, uh, everybody should know where it's at, gotmeat.com. And I know uh, Vicky has been uh, working very, very hard on the, uh, on the remodel. Uh, anxious to uh, see the new release when it comes out. I know some have seen bits and pieces. I think Vicky isn't the... Uh, the radio page uh, has been kind of out there for a while, I think. Well, the whole site, the whole new site is there. It's just not, and it's actually up and running. It's just not officially the front face right now. So the the new site, for those of you that want to go take a look around, and I don't want to hear any bitching because not everything's in there yet. So if your meter is not listed, I don't want to hear it. I haven't finished putting my all in there yet. Uh, is <laughs> oh. at gotme.com slash blog slash. So B-L-O-G slash um, that's kind of the preview before the grand opening, right? Yeah, I mean, it's there, and that's where I'm sending people for the show page because I just figured I might as well do it there. I am not adding anything to the old site. What I'm doing now is mining all the information off the old site and moving it over, and it's just there's so much. So it just, I, I'm, I'm doing it as fast as I can, but some of it has to be manually massaged, and there's a bloody lot of it. So, you know, it just takes time. And, but uh, the site can, itself is actually there, so yeah, they can go. Yeah, and uh, you can become a supporting member, a patron member. Right now, it's $25 a year. We've been hearing rumors that that might go up. And, of course, this helps cover the cost of servers and back-end kind of stuff. Uh, it's not a profitable business, but uh, we do like to help out when we can. Because it, this isn't free. It does cost money to run this kind of a website. So uh, 25 bucks a year. Come on, get with it. Uh, get your money in. Get access to the other side of the forum on gotme.com. And that's the patron side. And let me tell you, uh, you know, you patrons out there can help me out with this, uh, you know, and, and tell the others that, you know, there's so much more there. You've got access to world-class, award-winning mead recipes and yeah, you know that, that are consistently makeable and they if you follow and make really awesome meat. yeah you kind of broke up there a little bit but uh absolutely i mean these are world-class uh mead recipes that have 
won awards time and time again. So, uh, you know, if you're a serious mead maker, this is where you need to be. Uh, so get your 25 bucks in. Uh, you know, it's a tw and it's twenty five dollars a year. Okay, so it's, it's not we're not talking a lot of money here. Uh, Facebook uh, simply got me. If you're on the Facebook, uh, and I understand that there is a group out there, although yep. can you get to it from the uh, from our uh, from the Got Mead Facebook? Um, if you just if you just search Got Mead on Facebook, the group pops right up. It's it's also. Um, it's also got me. So um, there's a page, and then there's also the group. Yeah, lots of discussion on mead making, uh, you know, there as well. So uh, if you're on the Facebook, look that uh, group up. Ask Oscar. Uh, you need to go to uh, gotmead.com forward slash blog forward slash gotmead dash live dash radio dash show forward slash ask Oscar HTML. I'm going to do this one more time. So make sure you have your pencil in, in hand. Here we go. You no, know, they could just, they could just go to the yeah. website and click the link that says radio show. And underneath that, there's a link that says ask Oscar. That'd be easy. How simple is that? <laughs> mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, and our call in number tonight uh, is always 818-921- Four six eight zero. So uh, again, nine uh, uh, eight eight one eight nine two one four six eight zero. And uh, guys, the show links. Uh, gosh, we've got a number of them out there. The uh, you can listen to it on the Got Mead uh, website, or you can go to TuneIn Radio at TuneIn.com. Just put the search. Uh, just do a Got Mead Live search up there, uh, and it'll take you right to it. Uh, and then uh, you can take us with you. If you're down in the TuneIn Radio app for iOS and Android, take the show with you. If you're uh, traveling, uh, you can also uh, get us on SoundCloud uh, with all the replays. And you can also download the SoundCloud app. You can take that with you while you're traveling, too, and listen to the shows at your leisure. Uh, and you can listen to them over and over and over again, if you'd like. <laughs> Especially the especially the Ask Oscar stuff. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, we are all over the place out there. Show news next week, uh, and I didn't. Uh, I forgot to uh, take those uh, take those notes out of there. But I believe it's Susan Rude, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, owner of Prairie Rose Meadery in Fargo, North Dakota, and um, they just opened up um, just a few short months ago. And they're already kicking butt and taking names. So I'm really excited that she's coming on the show and that we can talk with her and find out, you know, what it was like setting that up there. I watched some, I watched her sort of sort of watched her progress as she posted things on the American Meme Makers Association page on Facebook. And um, it was it was fun to see it happen. And I've known Susan for years. Uh, she comes out of the brewing side of the world. So I knew her back when she was coming around to judge the mead competitions and stuff. So it's, it's pretty fun. To have awesome. her on the show. Awesome. Really looking forward to that uh, next week. So uh, tune in Tuesday night at 9 o'clock right here on Got Me Live. We are going to step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, Michael Fairbrother. So stay tuned. Hey, this is Danny Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. 
The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Mead. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a supporting member Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. And we are back live on Got Mead Live. And tonight, uh, we've got a gentleman, Vicky, who took his first sip of mead. It was a sizer, as I understand. Back in 1995, uh, became a skilled mead maker and opened a meadery. Yeah. He uh, he's he's kind of driven. He he's uh, so as long as I've known him, he's one of those really super focused guys. And he just goes out there and gets it done. But he makes amazing mead. Um, they've got over 70 different meads these days, which I, I knew you had a lot of meads, Michael, but oh my God. Um, but uh, they're doing just amazing. They're one of the top meaders in the country now and are in several different countries, uh, Australia, Japan, and I think that's all so far, but we'll find out. So and welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, yeah, and he's won like 80 bazillion awards, and I'm not going to read them all here. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great to be on your show, Vicki. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. What's so, uh, um, Michael, i got to ask you. Uh, that first sizer, what was it about that sizer that you had in 1995 that led you to this point in your career? So I was a beekeeper when I was uh, 12 years old, and I kept bees. Well, I started working on beehives when I was 12, had my own hives when I was 14. So I really had um, a a passion for the flavor of honey. And if you've ever seen a baby try something for the first time, that was my reaction. And I was 29 years old, and I looked at this guy, and I said, what is that? And he said, apple mead. And I said, okay what is mead? And he said, a wine made from honey. And I looked at him like he had two heads. And I said, what are you talking about? And I said, how do you make wine from honey? And he told me. And the next day I went home, made uh, two uh, two batches, one with pineapple, one with uh, straight mead. And I learned real quick that a blow-off tube needs to be big enough so the chunks of pineapple can't uh, flock up to the uh, Been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And that was the beginning of a, a very long, um, still homebrewing today, but I make a heck of a lot of mead. We just got our first 60 barrel fermenter, and uh, our next bar- fermenter will be 100 barrels. Wow. Wow. That's nice. A lot of mead. 
So um, I know you guys have been adding on lately. Where are you going to end up for production levels this year, Michael? Uh, we're already up 55% over last year. So um, it seems to be getting nice. faster and faster for us. So we, we've now gotten into 34 states here in the United States. Uh, the Japan order just went out the door. And when they started talking to us, they asked us how many container trucks at a time they could buy. <laughs> oh boy, that's a that's a good problem to have. Wow, unbelievable! So I'm afraid that's to put great. an estimate of where we're going to end up this year. But when I get my first hundred barrel fermenter, I'll, I think I'll take a glam shot with it and put it up on Got Meat. <laughs> oh, right, totally! Yeah, get, send me the glam shot, and we'll write an article about it. It'll be fun. When you uh, uh, that would be really cool. I wish I could get up there when I'm going to be up your way this weekend to, to check the place out, but I'm not going to have a chance. Well, that's too bad. What, yeah, what well, mother-in-law uh, birthday, so you know. <laughs> what, what, what was the point, Michael? Uh, you know, you had that first sizer in 1995. I'm sure it was maybe some years later. Uh, what was the point, the turning point for you when you decided, uh, you know what, we need to take this public and make lots of mead? Sure. Well, in 2006, I was president of the largest homebrew club in New Hampshire, Brew Free or Die. Um, it might have been my third or fourth time being president. And at the holiday party, I realized that when I pulled out a bottle of beer, because I always thought I was going to open a brewery someday, I realized it was my buddies hanging around. And when I pulled out a bottle of mead, every woman in the room was knocking somebody over. And I said, okay, there's got to be a business here. But uh, in 2007, 8, and 9, I won Mead Maker of the Year awards at the New England Regional um, Homebrew Competition. And in April of 2009, I was talking to Omar from Surly Brewing Company about trying to do this part-time at night. And he changed my life with one single sentence. Because he said to me, how can you possibly think you can do something you love part-time? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that's when I started all the paperwork and got the process rolling. We started production in May of 2010. Um, by July 7th, it was ready for sale, sold out in a day, quit my day job on July 8th. And within two months, we'd outgrown my garage, moved into a 2,000 square foot production facility. And within our first year, we became the first winery from New Hampshire state history uh, to be distributed to California. By the end of my second year, we're in seven states, so all in New England, California. Third year, closer to 21 states, I believe. Uh, we'd bought our first 1,000-gallon fermenters back then. And uh, fourth year, 27 states, this country, nationwide in Australia. Uh, last year, I was invited to be a guest lecturer at the Robert Mundavi Institute uh, on a short mead-making class with uh, Ken Schramm, uh, Mike Fall, and uh, Pete, who's also on your show, I believe. And yeah. uh, it's been, and they flew me to Australia last year to be a guest speaker at the Australian National Homebrewers Conference. So it's nice. been come true. Uh, we just finished our fifth year of sales last month. Like I said, we're up 55% over last year. And um, I, I'm traveling for the next three weeks straight. Uh, we just got into making some hard ciders as well. Uh, our hard cider is called How Do You Like Them Apples? And, uh, fun. <laughs> yeah, we, we, if you see my names and you ever see my rants on Facebook, you know, we had a, a distributor come in and tell us they couldn't sell our silly name meads that we had to come up with more manly names. And oh, I, I posted oh, this up on Facebook. There were close to 24,000 impressions, uh, comments, and shares on that page, uh, post. So, you know, yeah. don't tell me how to name my meads and I won't tell you how to. 
do a better job making your meat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and let's face it, distributors don't exactly hold a. Uh, they don't. They don't exactly hold a hammerlock on how to market meads. Usually, you guys have to get out there and hold their hands for them to get them to do it at all. Right. And this this past year, I've really kind of taken a step to really trying to help the industry. I'm now president of the American Mead Maker Association. Uh, there's been a whole bunch of us: uh, Brad, Ken, uh, Colleen, Philip, um, and Jeff from um, Superstition Meadery, working behind the scenes to really kind of revamp this uh, organization to take it to the next level. That's going to be exciting. It'll be, it'll be fun to see how that comes out. I saw that the new website is in process, so that's nice to see. Yeah, we're, we've got a lot of progress being made in the background. We're just trying to get all the our, uh, ducks in a row, or bees in a row. <laughs> yeah, right. So, set, you guys are up to 70 meads now? Yeah, we've actually been ramping a little bit down. We just created our 71th. 71, 71 uh, recipe now approved by uh, the TTB. Um, we're we're gonna, you're, it's a scoop. We're gonna create a, a lower session mead that we really want to um, target towards. You know, we, we make all of our meads available on draft except for Utopian. Um, but you know, we're we're really focusing on a key six uh, core flavors across the country uh, with two or three uh, specialty like uh, seasonal releases. Uh, that we do, like mm-hmm. our Coffee in Bed, Wicked. Coffee and, in uh, Bed's good. I like that one. Thank you. And Fury has been doing phenomenal. That's our Ghost Pepper, Habanero Pepper, and Scorpion Pepper Mead. I didn't, didn't you meddle with that one at the Mazer Cup last year? I or did. Or this year, rather? I, I took a gold with that one. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, as I say, because I was, <laughs> I was drinking it. I was on the judging table for that, and I was astonished at how... I mean, because I'm not a pepperhead, so I tend to shy away from from you know the pepper uh, pepper mills, and um, I really liked that. It was you know it was and it wasn't even it wasn't even a creeper. It just the, it was it was put together really well. Everything fit where it should. Yeah, I was able to figure out um, with all this twenty years of making mead now is that when you're making a methaglin, you want to age your spices in the finished mead. And it's almost like dry hopping. So you want to do it for a set period of time. And for me, my sweet spot is 72 hours. So we age okay. the meat on the peppers for 72 hours and take it off. That way you don't get the vegetal notes from the peppers. You don't get too much heat. And you're not trying to back sweeten it or blend it down. So you can really yeah. kind of focus on where, is, where do I want it to be and get it to where you want it to be and then stop. Instead of trying to figure out, okay, I went too far, now how do I fix it? Yeah. Now, when you created that recipe, how much sampling did you have to do to, to hit that sweet spot? Uh, I did it every 12 hours. Well, I was terrified I was going to go too high. I mean, the, the scorpion yeah. peppers alone are, are pretty um, high. Yeah. So every 12 hours. So I think I had uh, what was that, six samples before I called it uh, perfect. Okay, I'd have to say you called it well because I've I've tasted a lot of Capsicumels and there's several really good ones out there. Years among them, and but most of them tend to be what I call creeper meads. They're they're really balanced, but then the heat gets you in the back end in the finish. You know, yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing if you like that sort of thing. I just it doesn't work for me personally. You know. We basically, we, we described it as liftoff. So the pepper heat threshold comes up really fast and you think you're going to be like, oh my God, this is going to kill me. 
And that's when yeah. the sweetness of the honey comes in and takes away all the pain. So it's a sweet. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I like that. He's not so. kidding. That's exactly what it did. I say I was at the judging table for that one. And it was, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know it was his until after the fact, because then he was pouring, you poured that at the, um, at the uh, uh, public pour afterwards. Right. Yeah. So, and, and there was a lot of people walking around talking about that. And these are people who hadn't had it before, you know, so you, you, you done good with that one, Michael. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with that. And um, if either of you two haven't had the opportunity to have, so if you can find them, they're good. Coffee in bed was another one, and correct me if I'm wrong, that one also meddled, did it not? Multiple years, uh, I think. A couple of years ago, um, yeah, it certainly has. Most, I mean, we've been, I would consider, fairly lucky and blessed to be able to have meddled every single year we've entered the Mazer Cup. And, you know, this Vicky saw me approach the, the table of the award banquet this year. I was, I was utterly crying. And it was, uh, <laughs> you know, just really kind of, to take home three gold medals, two silvers, and a bronze, and then have my friends go, oh, you got a bronze, it must be tough, when the other <laughs> one in that category took a gold. I'll take two-thirds of a category any day of the week. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally, yeah. When you can you walk away with that, he's walking up there, and I'm yelling at him, just stay up there, because the next category came up, and he had a medal in that one, too. It's like, just, <laughs> just stay up there. And just wait, okay? We'll just hand them to you, you know. And it's you and um, and uh, Andre from Intermeal, who I really got to get on the show uh, in the next cycle. I'm going to get the can- next cycle is going to be the Canadian cycle, I think. Nice. But um, yeah, you know, I'm going to get the I'm going to get the Canadians from all over Canada. And, but I mean, I, I just just I remember when you opened. I mean, you kind of came out of nowhere, and um, you know, when you opened the meadery and I remember I stumbled across your website and then I bumped into you at probably the Mazer cup or yeah, it must've been the Mazer cup or, or one of the earlier festivals or something like that. But I remember when you opened and, and you just like came out of the gate at a full dead run, you know, it was, I was pretty stunned. I mean, I was pretty impressed. It was, it was really neat. Cause what I saw differently than I believe most of the other meteries were doing back in that time frame was I saw it as a complete category, just like you have craft beer, um, cider, and you know, and the like. I said nobody's mm-hmm. making a full category dis- definition of of mead. I mean, there's awful lot no. of category styles in the BJCP and such, but from a market penetration or perspective, you know, seventy. I'm like, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Why so many choices? And I'm like, because people like choices. <laughs> Why would we not want to do yeah. that? And Fish Head has done that with the craft beer that they've made. You know, Sam Adams has got to have over 70 uh, different craft beers. So I'm like, there's no reason we can't do something like that. Well, it turns out it's expensive (laughs) to make (laughs) something and keep that kind of inventory. So we're, you know, we're really trying to make sure the business is going to last long into the future. But we've now got 10, um, about 10 employees uh, with the vast majority, like eight full time and two part time, and um, nice. it's, it's you know fifty five percent growth is pretty healthy for a company that's been in business five years in, and I don't know if that's going to be the and that's six months into the year, so that was our first yeah. half numbers. Do you still have hands on? Uh, are you still hands on at the meadery? Are you still very yeah. involved in making meat? Yeah, I'm still the um, founder and head mead maker, and 
you know, the, the reality is I spend a hell of a lot of time doing paperwork, but you know, we make big batches. I mean, we used 50,000 pounds of honey already this year. Um, and so, you know, we, we, you know, you don't need to make meat every day. You know, if you're making uh, 60 barrels at a time or a thousand gallons at a time, you know, per tank, and we have what now eight tanks. So, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of meat always in progress. But before we bottle everything, I taste it, make sure it's where I want it to be. If we need to blend um, to get the desired sweetness level, we do that. Um, we don't ever try to, well, I say ever. I really strongly suggest never back sweetening your meads with raw honey because uh, that can yeah. change the flavor profile pretty significantly. As well as, you know, when we ferment our fruit, we're fermenting the fruit in up front. So we're not getting that jammy like flavor we're getting that integrated flavor that i feel is really special to what a well-balanced mead can be yeah very good we're so, talking to michael fair brother tonight on got mead live if you've got a question for michael give us a call 818-921-4680 uh one more time 818-921-4680 uh, vicky's hard to interrupt you there but uh, go ahead yeah no worries so with 70 different um, recipes, or 71 now, since you just submitted the next one, um, I'm assuming that you're rotating in and out of the various fermenters, and it's, so it's a cycling job, and pretty much there's always something being pitched and always something being bottled at any given time. Yeah, we've run a seven-day operation, um, so we're doing tours and tastings seven days a week, and we have a retail tasting shop. So come the weekends, we're pretty slammed up. We're just trying to keep up with the customers coming through the front door. Um, but uh -huh. for the rest of the week, you know, we just picked up uh, 6,400 pounds of honey this week. So when I get back um, tomorrow, I'm going to be making mead. Um, and, you know, so it is, it, it seems never ending. We're down to roughly 37 meads in production at any, you know, or in the warehouse at any point in time. Some meads come and go based on my fancies of, you know, what do I want to drink in the next month yeah. or two? <laughs> and I tell every customer, I said, you know, look, don't ask me to make a pumpkin mead or don't ask me to make a watermelon mead because I don't want to drink it. And if I don't want to drink it, I'm not making it. And so everything yeah. we make is for my enjoyment. And if nobody likes it, perfect, because I get more of what I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is so you, Michael. That's one of the things I love about you. Um, and thank God you like strawberry rhubarb because at least I know Fling's not going to go away anytime soon. Because, you know, just saying. My son in law is a strawberry rhubarb fanatic. So, for the, um, when we had the, my, my daughter got married in January and we didn't have a big fancy wedding. We uh, had the wedding at a little local uh, place and just basically had the whole family over and just packed the house full of people and had a big old party for the, uh, the reception dinner or rehearsal dinner, whatever you want to call it. And um, so I went down to Total Wine and, and bought half a dozen bottles of Fling and shared them with my son-in-law because he really likes it, too. So, <laughs> you That's what I'm drinking tonight is this Fling. And I'll tell you, it brings back a lot of memories because, I, I, you know, as a young boy, I remember my grandmother making strawberry rhubarb pie. And I just absolutely mm -hmm. love and this uh, just so much reminds me uh, of that time. It's just it's just perfect. So uh, yeah. congratulations on this uh, strawberry rhubarb for sure. Thank you. Yeah, we've seen 
you know, we first started introducing these same meads that we sell by the bottle in kegs. And, you know, my distributors are like having heart attacks as they're looking at the price point of a six-tool. And like, you got to be kidding me. Nobody's going to pay for this stuff. And then we started showing them where it was selling and where it was selling into. And we've got nationwide bars, um, craft beer bars, selling the stuff as fast as we can put it from ke- into keg. So, you know, the key piece of advice for anybody who's an amateur mead maker or even a commercial mead maker, believe in yourself and educate the people around you to be su- supportive of your vision. Hmm. Because if you yeah. can't make it happen and you can't convince them, you will never get there. But when somebody yeah. tells you it can't be done, that to me means they just haven't figured out how to do it. And I just need to help them understand how to do their job. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen <laughs> yeah. to that. I mean, we made a mead with, um, uh, it was a, our, our attempt at a sour mead called Curiosity. And it was barrel aged in uh, these barrels we got from Allagash. It was for a beer they make called Curio. And we'd added regret and lacto and everything, trying to get it really funky. And, you know, it took me two years to get it to where I thought it was, you know, pretty tasty and kind of had the right essence of the funk that I was looking for. And we released it, and the Sixtals went into the bars at close to $600 a Sixtal. And it sold out in a week. <laughs> I didn't even get any to take home. So, you know, I really need to kind of be careful with, with what we're doing and how we're going at this. Cool. Yeah. I haven't had that one yet. I'll have to see if I can find some of that if you ever end up putting some in bottles and not in barrels. Uh, we, we did sell quite a bit in bottles, so you've got a good shot at it. When you, uh, Michael, when you're developing a new flavor, a new recipe, uh, do you do small batches first to say, gee, I wonder if this is going to work? Or, I mean, is it dumping 5,000 pounds into a hopper and going for um, it? Yeah, it's not quite the 100,000 dollar risk level but um we we you know my smallest test batch is 60 gallons so that's 50 cases and um i would have to tell you i make it in my head first so you know the the thought process is pretty much pretty concluded about what i want it to taste like where i want the sweetness level how do i want the acidity level to balance and i consider that's really the art form that or the skill the only real skill i have as a mead maker, which is I can see flavors and I can think about them ahead of time and project whether I want it to work that way or not before I actually have to make it. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, and you said you mentioned something about pineapple the other day or, uh, just a minute ago, the other day I was, uh, you know, we were doing the grocery shopping in a store and I had passed the pineapple, fresh pineapple and I kept thinking about a pineapple mead, but I, I don't want to do just a pineapple mead. I want to do something like a grilled pineapple mead. And uh, so I've been tossing around that. So at least I know I'm on the right track, eh, Vicky? <laughs> the only real challenge you have with pineapples, so pineapple's very acidic. So if you don't have a nice high residual sweetness level, that acidity level will really detract from your mead. Um, that's not to say you can't make a very dry pineapple mead. It's just you usually get, well... Back when I first made my first one, which was with zero experience, it took me five years to get the pH to be what I call drinkable and balanced so that it was exceptional. So you can't always, and I didn't know about acid additions or buffering back then. So I was, you know, just trying to make a pineapple, you know, honey mead and it went bone dry and that acidity level just kind of hits you right in front of the teeth and you're like, okay, 
well, they say it can age. Let's let put this one back in the cellar for a little while. And five years later, <laughs> you know, it was phenomenal because, you know, even if you make a mead where you're not doing any kind of, um, you know, we did a, uh, what I call a caveman or wild mead at the, the meadery where I took um, but basically four and a half, five pounds honey. And then I added, you know, basically volume. So I, I use usually 25% by volume honey, 75% by volume water. And we put it into a carboy and we didn't do anything to it. You know, we sprinkle a little dry yeast into it, but we put an airlock on the top and we let it sit. And, you know, for months you could watch the honey was getting eaten up by the yeast. So the honey level kept going further and further down because that ties into my theories of how mead came about. Because if you were a, you know, somebody taking honey out of a beehive 15,000 years ago, and in the cave painting, as you see, the lady has a bag in front of her. It looks like you know, a purse, more or less. You know, there had to be water in the bag. Because if you have water in the bag, you drop the honey in it. Honey sinks to the bottom. Bees can't smell the honey. Mm-hmm. And then you start mm-hmm. walking around. The so honey gets shaken up, starts to ferment. You know, I don't know where the term buzz comes from, but you know, I can tell you a beehive certainly makes that noise. And you yeah. Know, I, yeah. So this mead that we made a year and a half ago, you know, I know the pH has changed because it started actively fermenting again this, this summer. So it's, it's interesting to watch how, you know, honey has got a nice buffering character to it, but how the evolution of the pH of the must will change so the characteristics of the yeast can, can start to thrive again. Interesting. What, uh, how long is it from, uh, well, I guess you pitch yeast by the bucketfuls, I would imagine, in a metery that size, but how long, how long a time is it from yeast pitching until bottling? How much? Uh, um, you're looking at a, a, ma- a minimum of three months to, we're up to four and a half, uh, will be five years. Uh, we make some meat in um, Sam Adams Utopus barrels that we got when I first started. And batch number nine will come out in January, and it'll be five years in the barrel. Wow. Oh, my. I'm anxious to try that one. Yeah. That one's, that now one's just, not what we call now, cheap. <laughs> <laughs> now I just got to Now I just got to figure out how I can get you to ship me a barrel of fling, you know? I mean, this. <laughs> and then where I'll put it once I've got it, and whether or not I'll let my friends have any. <laughs> do you uh, Vicky, do you have a world of beer down your way? No, but you know what? And I'm glad you mentioned that, Michael. We do have, there's a new beer garden in downtown Raleigh that just opened about a month ago. And talk to your distributor down here because they literally have more taps than any other um, beer place in the country or so they claim. They're actually trying to get into the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, And they claim to, they've got like over 400 taps. So you kind of need to, you kind of need to be in there, I think. So you know, yeah. I would cool. definitely check it out. It's, I believe it's called the Raleigh Beer Garden, and they opened less than thirty days ago. We were. I was just down in Chapel Hill, and um, I know selling, I missed you. I didn't, couldn't get over there. Selling our meat as fast as we could get it into the stores. So I'll let our distributor, which is Freedom Beverage, uh, um, know about that, and they can make it happen. Okay, you work with Freedom. Okay, cool. I've seen some of your stuff at Total Wine. Um, that's where I got the fling uh, in the 375s, but they only had eh, three, maybe four of your of your meads there. So of course, total wine is not exactly the epitome of fine taste and mead, but you know, it's the biggest place we got around here. So 
Yeah, we've been seeing a heck of a lot of placements too at really high end restaurants all across the country as well for our product. So it's that's nice to hear. What uh, what, what kind of restaurants, Michael? Well, um, it just I mean everything from you know a, a, like B and D Burger down in Savannah, Georgia, which is a gourmet burger shop with craft beer selection, all the way up to you know very high end pizza shops to you know high five star restaurants. You know, upper, you know, California to Washington, to gamer bars, to everything. I mean, I, nice. I can tell you what we found to be the sweet spot for us is to have a really small distributor base, you know, with small team that are aggressive and can actually go out and do the job of selling the product. Yeah. I, uh, I you know, I was telling Vicki, uh, you know, when we went live here, uh, I... And Vicky and AJ both know that I've been on the hunt for mead in my area. It's just been incredibly difficult to find. However, this weekend, I think I hit the mother load. Total Wine is one of my venues out here that we shop at quite frequently. And I've been after them and after them to to <laughs> put more mead on their shelf. Well, it paid off. Uh, and then, uh, you know, my shout out to Daniel over at the Valley Beverage here in Sherman Oaks. I walked into this place, Michael, and I hit the mother load. And there in front of me was this moonlight meadery fling. So I grabbed two bottles of it right there off the shelf. And uh, I was very happy to find it. So, I, I, you know, I guess my question would be, is distributing mead as difficult for you as it is for some others out there? Craft Beer had a hell of a time with distributorship until, I don't know, whether the big two or big three finally gave in and said, okay, okay, okay. Uh, talk about that for a minute. I mean, sure. It's, distributors. It's, it's, Go ahead. It's, it's been a real learning curve, um, and it's not been a pleasant learning curve at points. We've had to uh, <laughs> terminate relationships um, that you know I had put a lot of faith into these companies. I've put money out of my own pocket into going to help train and help understand. And you know, the, the pushback that some of the really big houses have is. Well, why would we do this for you? Breweries hire their own people to do this. You know, we're just going to deliver the product. I'm like, well, you're taking a hell of a lot of money just to be the delivery guy. And um, so we've we've been able to successfully get our brand back from these houses and go find places like the guys in Texas at Flood who have been killing it for us. The guys in Florida with Microman. Uh, we changed up in California now with Artisan uh, um, artisan ales in Southern California and mountain peoples in Northern California. And what we're seeing is that other meteries like Mike Fall from Rabbit's Foot and um, Dave Myers from uh, Redstone have been supportive in talking to the distributors that a meadery like Moonlight Meadery is trying to find a new house. Would you guys have any objections to us picking up that, you know, those brands? And it's, it's not it's not a competitive based model yet. We're too, all too small. The, the more meads the, the distributors carry, the better the category is represented and the better the mm-hmm. success it will be. But, you know, certain meaderies have found their sweet spots with very, very big distributors. I know uh, my friend Philip at Nectar Creek, he likes having a really big house uh, behind his brand. But, you know, for my mm-hmm. particular brand with our higher retail price per bottle than most of the meteries that you know we we see as our competition or colleagues in the industry 
you know, it's, it's good. It's healthy. It's healthy for a, a distributor house to have a lower price point, a mid price point and a higher price point product. And, yeah. you know, the, the key piece is don't sign contracts where you, you are locked in forever. I mean, you have yeah. to be able to get your brand back and fire them for cause. And if you have to prove cause, it's, it's expensive. So you, you really want to, uh, to make sure that you think about, and any of your folks going live or long-term coming into the business, shoot me a bloody email. <laughs> Call me, ask me questions because, you know, I look at this as a learning curve and, you know, I make mistakes. I learn very fast from the mistakes I make, <laughs> but I don't want to see anybody go out of business based on the mistakes they're making because it doesn't help any of us if somebody is making world quality mead that can stand up to a consumer that might say, Hey, you know, I tried mead last week and yeah, I'm done with mead forever. You know, yeah. that doesn't help any of us. So, you know, I want to, and we challenge customers when they come in and tell us that they've tried mead and they're not wanting to try it. But, you know, we were at a farmer or a wine festival this past weekend, we ended up selling 13 cases of mead in the better part of four hours. And, you know, we, we tasted quite a bit, but we sold, you know, cases upon cases of product. And it was being able to know that when a customer looks you in the eye and says, I've tasted meat, I'm not really a fan, and is going to go to the next wine table. We say, did you stop drinking wine when you tried a bad glass of wine? Did you stop drinking beer when you had a beer you didn't like? So, yeah, you know, it's, it's keeping that dialogue and trying to think through the success of... And for us, I mean, God, I have to be the luckiest, blessed man in the world. I make a product that women do actually love, and you can see it in their eyes almost instantaneously. And when you <laughs> yeah. see that look, it's like, okay, you've hooked the fish, reel them in. <laughs> you know, this, yep. is, this is success. Once if, again, if we're, uh, we're talking to Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery tonight. If you want to give him a call and uh, ask uh, a question of Michael, 818-921-4680, Vicky. And I'll tell you, uh, I'm going to take a bottle of this Moonlight Meadery to my cardiologist uh, on at the end of the month when I see him. He has told me uh -huh. I, I need to be drinking a glass of red wine each day. And I've read the health benefits about meat as well. So he's going to get a bottle well, of, this, uh, of this meat, and, and I'm going to ask him, hey, is this healthy enough to drink? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what they used to make the old-timey tonics out of? Now, I come from country, and my grandmother made everything out of rhubarb, uh, you know, strawberry rhubarb pie, rhubarb jam. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on rhubarb, strawberries, and whatever else grandma could find to put with it. Rhubarb has actually got medicinal qualities of its own in addition to what you already get with the honey. So I think you're probably okay there. But, um, Michael, back to what you were saying earlier about the industry and, um, you know, and what's going on with the distribu distribution and things like that out there. I think you're really hitting the nail on the head because I've been watching this industry since, well, since it really got started in the United States, you know, since it started taking off. I mean, it's been here longer than I've been out there watching it, but... Um, since it really started, you know, getting out there and things starting to happen. And at first, what I saw was a lot of people basically circling the wagons and kind of making their own little fights and really not communicating. And so now, you know, as we're coming in, you know, and we're well into the 21st century and 
the industry is going gangbusters and and we've got a lot more inclusiveness and things i am just tickled beyond words to hear that the big fish are helping the little fish you know with getting into the right places finding those good distributors and like you say getting meat in front of the people because it does nobody any good if we have distributors and customers who think if you've tried one meat you've tasted them all and that's just simply not true. I mean, I've been quoted, God, I don't know how many times, with people asking me, well, isn't it sweet? No, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. It can be anything, just like wine, just like beer. Yeah, and it's hard when when um, retail stores think that, well, okay, it's, it's a wine. We need to place it in the wine section of the store, and they'll bury it underneath the sakis or nothing against I, the sakis. Uh, right? They'll... they'll They'll right. put it in the back underneath the lowest possible corner of the store where nobody's going to trip over it. And what well, they put it by the Boone's farm, you know, and it's like, really? <laughs> with some of the accounts like Argonauts in um, downtown um, Denver, they put our, they ran a competition and they had our meat in the wine section and in the beer section. And we sold three times faster in the craft beer section. That's because mm -hmm. the craft beer model has been working for 30 years to teach the American public to not be afraid to try something mm -hmm. new. Yeah. Wine buyers, for the most part, are looking for Merlot, Chardonnay. They're not look there's nobody trying to break into the oh my God, try this. I mean, okay, there's chocolate wine. That's kind of way, way out there, but I mean how real you have a tough stretch is chocolate and wine to, to, well, to people. yeah. So they're already doing that. They just put it all in one bottle, that's all. Right. You know, I mean, so that, I mean that's not too adventurous, but you know, to, to be honest, the if you put us in the craft beer section or near the craft cider, you know, we have a much better shot at at getting there. And when people say, "Well, how do you how do you support or how do you want to sell in a in a craft beer bar or brew pub?" Well, brew pubs are awesome for us. You go down to Moon River in Savannah, Georgia, and they're more than four cases of our mead per weekend. And what did they do? They just put a section on the menu that said mead and listed us. So they do yeah. meat. You know, meat does not oxidize like a traditional wine would. You know, we don't make yeah. our meats to taste like wine. If you want wine, buy wine. I'm making my meat to taste like mead. And I get a chance or the pleasure to uh, uh, present in front of the uh, BJCP um, at the uh, San Diego National Homebrewers Conference. And, you know, the first thing I said is, Whatever your conceptions of what you think meat should taste like, like raw honey or honey, it doesn't have to. It's got to taste good. That's the threshold. Yeah. And if the threshold is, you know, I say good, I mean exceptionally great. Um, you know, and, and my tagline in my company for what when I'm evaluating something is, I say if it doesn't suck, I sell it, which means it's got to be phenomenal. You know, <laughs> yeah. if it's phenomenal, I will sell it. If not, I'm taking it home. And we've never yeah. lost that because our religion is cleanliness. We sanitize clean. We use ozone now for our sanitation uh, regime. And it's, it's about one microbe can ruin a $100,000 batch. Is that worth wow. with taking that one chance to ruin $100,000? And as the you know, owner of the company with my livelihood, at risk here, I would say, hell no. <laughs> you know, so yeah, <laughs> you know, we pay attention to that level of detail. 
Michael, how do you decide which yeast to use for each recipe? Is it something because you already know what all the characteristics are, or do you do test batches until you've got the right pairing? I only use one yeast. So okay. for everything we make, I use Lavalin 71B. And that's because it's the only ingredient out of everything I use that doesn't change. And customers will ask me, well, water, how does that change? Well, we get our water from a, um, a reservoir. So if we're having a drought in New England or New Hampshire, we have a little higher mineral content. If we're getting a lot of rain, we get a higher pH or a higher acid content. So if my water can change and honey can change based on the flowers that bees visit, I need to at least know that in fruit, I mean, blueberries from Maine are not the same as blueberries from Michigan, et cetera, mm-hmm. currants, everything changes. Um, I've got to be able to know with at least some point of clarity, where do I start and where am I going to? And like I've told most people when they ask me, well, how do you make things? I, I make it to taste. It's kind of like I'm making spaghetti sauce. I don't start with a recipe. I just think about what I want the flavors to come out to and I go for it. And that's the same way I make like baked beans, most of the food I cook. Because my mother taught me how to cook as a child. She yeah. taught me to think about flavors. I think about how the, the spice or the flavor is going to interact and how it's going to present. And that's what I shoot for. And that's why I can make, whether it's pancakes or baked beans or lasagna or chili or whatever I make, off, off the cuff. Because I've already got it in my head. It's, it's just putting the pieces together. The, the puzzle's already solved. I'm just painting the picture. Okay. Yeah. I, I cook that way, too. I just, I go, hmm, what do I have a taste for today? And how am I going to get something to go in the direction I want? And then I start fitting around until I get it to where I want it. You know? And, and then somebody asked me later, the problem is, is somebody asked me later how I did that. And I'm going, you know, I just did. <laughs> it worked. It was great. You know, <laughs> and when the first time I got asked to by the, the Mandavi Institute to come out, and they were asking me to talk about how to how to make meat, and I'm like, "What the hell do you mean? What do I what do I know about making meat? It's like it's like breathing. I can't tell you how I breathe. I just do it at this point. I do it so often. It's and I'm not trying to be conceited about it. It's just I've, I've done it so much. I've forgotten how to do it. If that yeah. makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, and and, and I and I totally hear you. I, I am I am what I call myself a seat of the pants mead maker because I screw around with it, which drives the people who aren't, who are very linear, you know, in the way they go about it, and they make great meads too. But it's just not the way my brain works. So yeah, it makes sense. Are you coming to the uh, <clears throat> the uh, branding thing at Mondavi in November? Yes, I'll, I'm going to be a lecturer again this year. Well. Cool, I'll see you there. I'm coming too. Um, but uh, it's cool though. I, I I love. I mean, I mean, you know, I watched you since the day you opened up your doors. And in fact, I did an article pretty much on the day you opened up your doors on on Got Mead for that. So uh, you know my opinion of your meadery. I've watched you grow from from the get go. So I'm just tickled that it's going so well and that you know it continues to go well. Uh, I'd love to have you and. Um, Two or three other meadery owners come back as a panel for mead makers out there to be able to call in and talk to you guys in the future. If, if that's something you'd like to do, that that'd be fun. So um, it's it's on my 
It's Count in the plans. I don't know when. <laughs> cool. Great. I'm glad to hear that. So um, we've got to start wrapping up because we've got to move on to our next segment because people have been yelling at us because we run too long. So um, <laughs> I want to say, hey, thank you for coming on and say hey to Bernice. And, you know, it's been awesome having the opportunity to talk to you. Well, well Sal, cheers. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I got to tell you, there, you know, it was a few years ago that I had what amounted to be my first beer after years of drinking my dad's beer, Coors and Millers and, and whatnot. Uh, it was a craft beer that I had. And I thought for the first time, my God, I'm, I'm drinking beer for the first time. This is what it's really supposed to taste like. I, I, had that same, I had that same feeling when I took a sip of this flank. I, I have been in search of mead, and I've had mead. Uh, of course, Vicky and AJ both know my whole mead thing here. And they can tell you, I've just been on this hunt, and I just don't feel that I've had a mead uh, that's been worthy. And for the first time today, well, actually, it was Sunday when I had the first sip of fling, I think I finally met the mead that I was looking for. So congratulations, uh, you know, again on, on your uh, success, and uh, gosh, we hope to have you back again. And, and J.D., that's our third bestseller. So you got to try Desire... Awesome. And Kurt's apple pie. Oh, so oh yeah, Kurt, Kurt's Kurt's apple pie is really you got to try Kurt's apple pie. Yeah, I don't I, think I've had Desire yet, Michael. I'll try to remember to pick up a bottle of that when I'm down getting my next round of fling. I told awesome. uh, I told Daniel at uh, Valley Beverage. I said you, I want to see every variety that Moonlight Meadery makes on your shelf because I will come in and buy it. So uh, I got the word out there, but absolutely, Michael, thank you again. Cheers. Meet stronger. Take care. Yeah. Take Bye. care, man. Yeah. See you later. We uh, have uh, Ask Oscar coming up. Uh, we're going to have a very short segment in between, but uh, we still got more coming your way. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. It's not the name of the meads that causes Moonlight Meadery to consistently win more and more medals at the Major Cup International every year. It's the world-class meads that have depth, balance, and taste incredible. Meads with passion. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Moonlight Meadery makes meads with passion, love, and care. Enjoy a Moonlight Meadery mead today. Go shop for some right now. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing varieties, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. 
Go to Melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. And back live here on Got Mead Live, Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery. And I'll tell you, uh, ladies, uh, you know, like I was uh, just telling Michael, I-, I believe that I've probably had my first meet. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the dryness. Uh, it's not real overly sweet. Um, it The flavor is, like I said, I, I just, and I haven't had a strawberry rhubarb pie in years. And this brought back so many memories. When it first hit my mouth, I thought, my God, I know what this is. I want to make uh, cordial chocolates out of it. I mean, as soon as I drank, oh, drank it, I was just thinking, cordial, you know, fling in a cordial chocolate. So, Michael, if you're listening, this is what you need to do. And then I'll come <laughs> up to the meadery and I'll do a live interview and a video and I'll buy a chocolate. So, just saying. <laughs> well, you know, these wine and door chocolate, white shoes, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we uh, before we get to our Ask Oscar segment, which is uh, kind of lengthy tonight, uh, let's talk about a little bit about what Oscar is going to be talking about more in depth, and that's honey. Um, I, you know, honey. You know, he. I see honey varieties mentioned all over the place, like raspberry and. You know, even Oscar talks about some of these ones, uh, buckwheat. Macadamia is the one that's always <laughs> dangling in front of me, me. You know, oh, come I on, even for every me, time he does it. For me, even orange blossoms is a special thing to find. So, well, yeah, yeah, yeah you guys so are lucky. They're in Canada, and we don't grow oranges, right? And so, you grow like, some nice honey, though. My question uh, is maybe more of a comment, but it, I mean, it's still kind of a question. I, you know, I mean, I'm down here in Southern California, and I feel like I'm limited to the varieties of honey that I can get my hands on. Versus, no, you aren't. Uh, you're only limited by how much you're willing to pay for shipping. Well, you know, I mean, really, yeah. yeah. Honestly, that's all you're really limited. I'm serious. You can order <laughs> heather honey from Scotland. Did you want to pay the shipping? The shipping's out effing rageous, but it's right. there, and you cheaper can than get it. Flying there yourself. Well, well yeah, but at least you like get to be there and bring it home with you. I mean, as long as you're going to go, you might as well spend a couple of weeks in eating haggis and stuff. But, you know, um, but seriously, I mean, I, I get my honey. Uh, I get most of my honey from bee folks, partly because the owner's a good friend. I've known her for years, partly because they have a lot of really interesting varietals. Uh, that is that is got me go-to place for honey. It has been for close on 20 years now. And... Um, Partly because she's in Maryland, so for me, I can get her and not have to pay ridiculous amounts of shipping to send a 60-pound bucket down to me, you know. But um, I've ordered honey from as far away as Oregon when I get my metal foam. I, You know, there was a place in Oregon that I was getting it. They don't, unfortunately, carry it anymore. But uh, I would order, a, you know, like a three-gallon pail, and at the time, that three-gallon pail cost like 90 bucks. Of course, now it'd be more like 200 but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was costing me more than the price of the honey to ship it across the country exactly. to me, and I happily paid it because I wanted it badly. I love meadow foam; it's my favorite honey. Yeah, that's one of those pipe dream honeys for me. I've not, I've not been able to get my hands on any of that yet because I'm not willing to pay right. the shipping. Well, I just, dude, I'll pa- I, I think I've got a couple gallons left. I'll pack up a quart jar for you and wrap oh it up in bubble wrap and lie to you. Yes, <laughs> and send it to you. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, I'm sure Seriously, that's I'm not kidding. It tastes like it's marshmallow fluff honey. I mean, oh, is there I, I anything better? I can't <laughs> think of anything better, and I can't wait to taste the um, s'morange um, um, chocolate mead that I got from, I think it was Medicine Fay as part of the chocolate group brew. Oh, my God. I can't wait to crack that open. <laughs> you got s'mores just, mead? That's just terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, which brings me to the next, uh, I guess, question or comment. I mean, are people really spending that much money making mead? Yes, uh, they are. And I did. I mean, you see, I've been making mead since I could buy a five-gallon pail of honey for 60 bucks. Okay, that's how, and you know how much a five-gallon pail costs now, y'all. So okay. it's, you know, it ain't cheap. But the thing is, though, is, uh, and Pete says it too, and you'll hear this over and over and over again, and ask Oscar as we go forward, if you're going to drop the kind of change you got to drop to make a batch of mead nowadays, figure out how to do it well. Because yeah. if you're going to drop, you know, over $100 just for the honey, if you're making a six or seven gallon batch, hey, you know, why are you screwing around? Get with the program and make good mead, you know, and you can do that. Well, and Michael, uh, you know, uh, Michael Fairbrother on the show here just, you know, a little while ago, I, I like the direction he goes. I, I like how he does it. He puts this flavor profile in his, in his mind, has a, almost like his taste buds are in his brain, has this idea of what he wants to accomplish in his mind, and then sets forth with it. And I, 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 think, that's, I think that's a good direction to go, to be honest with you. Uh, if you can work that way, absolutely. Whereas I don't, because I'm just like, hey, I wonder what this would taste like with no concept of, I, I don't have an ability to figure out what that's going to taste like. I have to try it and see. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I am kind of like that too. I mean, I've got some experiments going, uh, you know, as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I do this as a hobby. Uh, and my small batches, I don't care about. If they don't work, they don't work. But, you know, it will give me an opportunity to at least try something, and if it doesn't work, then I know not to do a five-gallon batch, right. you know, with $150 worth of honey. So, uh, but this whole honey thing uh, intrigues me because, you know, like I say, I mean, uh, what are you willing to spend on honey, you know, if it's a hobby? I mean... You know, well, I mean, if, if you drink, if, if you regularly like to have a drink, okay, so like if you're somebody who keeps, you know, however many bottles of wine around because you like to have a, a glass of wine when you like to have a glass of wine, right? So if you're an alcoholic. No. <laughs> if you're somebody who likes to drink, you smartass. Some if of you're somebody who likes to shush. Yeah, thank you. Some of us represent that remark. Thank you very much. But, um, yeah, I mean, okay, I, I drink mead. When we do this show, I drink mead when I'm with friends who like mead. Uh, I don't drink mead when I'm with my friends who are beer drinkers because they don't care about mead. They're not interested in mead, so we yeah. beer. You know, so but I don't drink a lot. Period. I mean, I drink when I'm with a group, big like when I go to my shooting events. I drink. Um, like and when I'm home though, every day, all day long, and then this is with 200 plus bottles of mead in the basement, right? Yeah. I. I'm not drinking mead every You're day. the same situation as I am. We've got a brewing problem, not a drinking problem. Yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah, I, you know, uh, how I get some of my interesting honeys is I tell people, I will give you a bottle of mead if you give me a jar of honey. 
And so I've got some really interesting wildflowers from around the province for doing that, which I still have sitting on the shelf and haven't turned into meat yet. But, you know, I will one of these days, honest. Um, Well, and I used... I used to do, I haven't done it lately, but I used to do what I called them as contract brews. Cause you know, I mean, it's not mm. people who sell it. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but. I oh yeah, absolutely not. This it. is why I, I, I trade for a bottle of honey. That that's yeah, legal. So, Cause there's no tax no, on honey. I would honey. say, look, y'all buy all the supplies and I'll make the mead. I get to keep this much of whatever we end up making, mm-hmm. you know? So if it comes out to be two cases, I get to keep a half a case. You get the rest. Yeah. Like you for, know? I, 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 um, I got introduced to a guy who was keeping bees before his um, colonies collapsed. Um, and, you know, for every pound of honey, I said, I'll give you, you know, a two pound, every kilo of honey, I'll give you a bottle. You know, there so. You yeah. So that, uh, that seems to work out pretty well. And I mean, it's, it's cheaper than that. You know, it's a lot cheaper than what you'd be paying for a bottle of wine in the store. Because you, like, you know, unless you're getting for a really exciting kind, it's um, you know eight or ten bucks for a jar of good honey, and uh, you can't get wine in Canada. Well, not in Ontario for eight or ten bucks. So, yeah, well, that's the other thing is, um, I'm, and the my wine snob friends will probably beat me bloody next time they see me for saying this. I don't find a lot of wines that I really like. I if I go for wines, I tend to go for country wines. I mean, the wines that I've got in my house are. I totally hear you because that's why I got into winemaking because I'm utterly unimpressed by most grape wines. And I don't care if the wine snobs hear me. (laughs) Every now and then they're interesting, but most of the time they're not. And so I got into trying to make stuff out of fruit that I could get my hands on because it was there Mm -hmm. and, you know, why let it go to waste? I think you're right. Exactly. I think it depends on how you drink your wine. I mean, I know some people who drink wine who sit and ponder over the taste and do this whole swirling around the glass thing. It's like, I mean, I am so off no, 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 no. that. I, I, I judge meads for uh, part-time living, okay? And, you know, I've done the sitting and the pondering and all that bullshit. You know what? I can ponder till the cows come home, <laughs> and the Merlot still tastes like crap, okay? You know, I don't like them. Well, and ponder that's- all Oh, there's no pondering that's going to make it taste any better. It's just still crap. Yeah, but you can probably, because well, you're, you know. trained as, you're trained to judge it, though, you can probably pick out good and you can probably pick out things you would like about it if it didn't have this particular thing you don't like about it. If it, if it wasn't crap, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't drink my wine uh, quite to, quite, you know, at that level. I mean, if I put it in a tumbler, okay, I don't, so half the time I don't even oh, drink can, it out of a wine glass. You can if ponder when you're tastes, drinking it right out of the box. You can still ponder it. It's still, sure, you know. but if, if my, my, my whole my whole my whole my whole deal here is, if the wine tastes good, I'll drink more of it. I'll mm-hmm. buy another bottle. That's the same thing mm-hmm. with this mead. If if I like the mead, if it tastes good to me, then I'll buy another bottle. If it takes me two hours to put down one glass of it, I'm not going to buy a bottle of it. If it's that astringent uh-huh. or that dry, I'm not going to buy a bottle of it. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's funny when I go to like parties where they're serving wine or I'm at a friend's house and they pull out a bottle of Cab or Merlot because it seems to be like, uh, apparently there's some rule that says Cab and Merlot are the only wines everybody's allowed to drink. Oh, um, my mom's for but, Pinot Grigio, but, which is okay. Well, okay, Pinot Grigios and the occasional Pinot Noir, you know, but um, so, you know, people are in lockstep around like two or three different varieties and I'll just sit there and sip it really, really slowly, like teeny tiny little, so I don't have to really taste please it. Please don't, don't refill like it. it. Please don't refill it. Please don't refill it. Please don't <laughs> refill it. Yeah, no, I'm good. No, really. I'm 
I should drink water because wine gives me headaches, you know, and this is what I tell mm-hmm. them. But, um, yeah, I just, I know what I like, so I drink what I like. I mean, you go down in my cellar, there's a number of fruit wines that I bring back from Michigan with me when I go to visit my dad every year because they have a really great fruit wine industry up there. They also have some really nice Come to Ontario, I will tell you where to go for fruit wines. And uh, Cool. And uh, Chris uh, in Mississippi, if you're listening, uh, make it four for four tonight. You got about thirty seconds to give us a call. Hi, uh, Chris. We haven't heard we, from you. you we might need be on to call roll tonight. We miss you, Chris. We need we to roll you, into. We're just gonna uh, make him a host. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need to roll in to ask Oscar here pretty quick. So, Chris, you got about thirty seconds to make that phone call. Oscar's going to talk about honey tonight, and uh, you know, of course, pick I, honeys. Yeah, and I, I of course, sat in the studio yesterday listening to, uh, you know, Vicky and Oscar talking about this whole honey thing. And it makes me almost want to go on a honey hunt. I mean, and, and not, and not, and you, those of you who are friends of mine out there, not the kind of honey hunt you're thinking about. So, not. <laughs> nice. Uh, go, go, go north, young man. Go <laughs> yeah. up and find that good, go find the elusive meadow foam. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, Just I mean, yeah. Oscar, uh, you know, I'll probably need to, and there's, I bet this is Chris calling uh, right now. In fact, it is. Uh, Chris, <laughs> this, this has got to awesome. be Chris from Mississippi. He's not on call tonight. <laughs> I, I'm here. I'm here. Hey, Chris. <laughs> Our Facebook caller, listening. we can count on you. You're not on call tonight, huh? I am on call, but I'm at home, so. Um, I'm getting paid. Well, I'm getting paid to wait. No, 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 no. Well, hopefully, you're, nobody no, no. all have a heart attack while you're talking to us. So you know, you're getting paid well, to listen to God Live, Got Mead Live. They, they need to pick another time to have a heart attack. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> so no, what, I enjoyed. I enjoyed hearing from Michael. Was, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I, I enjoyed the interview with Michael, as I understand it. Uh, he and I have something in common in our, our meat making. Uh, he has gotten away from using damp uh, entirely, and uh, that's something that I've been working toward. Uh, I wish I had gotten to talk with him, and uh, but I was busy. So darn, darn heart attacks that keep happening. You know, we got uh, we got about thirty seconds here uh, before we have to cut away here, Chris. What are some of the varieties of honey in Mississippi? Where you know where you're at there? Uh, the only thing semi-local would be cupelo honey, and it's from down south of here in Louisiana and uh, Panhandle of Florida. And um, the crop died this year. They lost almost yeah, the entire cupelo crop this year. Yeah, and as we talked about before, we don't have really good uh, local honey here as far as meat making. Uh, it's it's really good table honey, but uh, we've got too much bitter weed, milk weed, and so things like to, that around. Uh, you have to order your honey then and have it shipped. I do, and uh, I, and I order some from the Appalachians. I, I get a lot of sourwood from over that way. Uh, I love sourwood honey, uh, tupelo honey. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, most of most of the orange blossom I get is from Florida. Uh, I have not used any from California, but I hear there is a distinct difference. There so, is. It's a uh, it's a mellower it's a mellower orange. You know how the Florida is really sharp and kind of up in your face citrus. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Cali- California, I guess, because it's you know California, it's more laid back. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. I hear you. Well, we're waiting on the on the temperature and humidity to subside here before I get any more batches going. But hopefully, I can get some ready, and I'm gonna try to get some out to the to the Maser Cup uh, this coming time. It'll be my first time to try it and see Are you how it come goes. Out? Uh, are you going to come visit? And you should. We, put we, you to work. <laughs> we, we might do that. We uh, we had been talking about a trip to Yellowstone, so we might uh, go out by Yellowstone and just come back down through and and see what's going on out there. That'd be a there you go. Trip. We're we're like we're like halfway between Boulder and Denver, and there is so many different things to do and see around there. It is a really interesting area. And, um, the, I mean, we're going to have the major cup and so far as I know, we're having uh public tasting again this year. We had uh, over 70 meads from around the world last year. So yeah, it's Sounds really amazing. worth coming. Yeah, we got, we have a uh, family in Colorado Springs, so we can oh, have Springs a, an excuse. Far, to, yeah. 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 We have an excuse to come by and, uh, go. So, uh, yeah, we're going to try to make it out. Uh, if not this year, next year. Uh, I don't know how this meat making is going to turn out, but uh, uh, if I can get it ready in time, I'll enter it. If not, I'm going to let it sit for a, for a year and uh, and enter doesn't, it next year. Doesn't mean you don't have to, doesn't mean you can't come out. I mean, come out, uh, sign up to volunteer. We'll put you to work. A lot of the volunteers have the opportunity to taste meat right alongside the judges. You get to taste some pretty darned amazing meats. That sounds good. May, may uh, try it. Uh, yeah, that we yep. get that uh, we get to drink up the leftovers, and we pay our we pay our volunteers, you know, in mead too. So <laughs> there's all these leftovers, uh, I, right? <laughs> I, I work work for leftovers, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I did that all through college, uh, so I, I know about that. <laughs> hey, uh, all right. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a call back next week uh, if we have time. I wanna. Uh, I want to discuss with you some of this uh, nutrients that I've been experimenting with and getting away from the DAP and uh, some of the new ones out, the Fermato and the uh, going more organic. So perfect. Uh, we'll try to get some notes together on that and maybe discuss that. That might be something to speak of with Oscar about. Yeah, if we can get him, let me see, uh, yeah. see if we can lure him onto the show live next week. That might be that might be fun to do. Yeah, well, y'all take care. Okay. All right, thank you oh, for the call. For thanks for calling Chris. in, Chris. No problem. Chris from uh, Mississippi. Uh, of course, we had to egg him on here a little bit. But. <laughs> Chris is our fan. He I is. love it. We have, we have groupies. And he's a cardiologist, so we have, like, educated groupies, you know? Yeah. All right. So we're going to uh, list up away. We're going to take a commercial break when we come back. Actually, we're not going to come back. We're going to go right in to Ask Oscar, and he's going to talk about honey. We'll see you a bit later on. It's not the name of the meads that causes Moonlight Meadery to consistently win more and more medals at the Major Cup International every year. It's the world-class meads that have depth, balance, and taste incredible. Meads with passion. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Moonlight Meadery makes meads with passion, love, and care. Enjoy a Moonlight Meadery mead today. Go shop for some right now. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult 
finding his way into brewing beer, and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a supporting member. Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. Welcome to another episode of Ask Oscar, where Pete and I talk about the stuff that stumps you in making mead. We get questions from all over and from a lot of people. And actually, today's question is one that's come from several people, has come up very often in conversation on Got Mead and other mead forums out there. So um, Pete decided he wanted to tackle this one and see what we can come up with for it so pete what we've got is people talking about how do you figure out what honey to use with what meast uh, what what meast what yeast for your mead yeah i figured i'd put on my shoulder pads and tackle this one today there you go (laughs) it's a big one guys so uh be ready yeah there's a lot of you know a lot of people go well what kind of honey should i use or what kind of honey do you like well i don't know well, number yeah. one, uh, get off your butt, go out, find some find some honey and start tasting honey. Find the honey that you like. You know, it's not going to do you any good to find uh, honey at a store for a buck a pound and then bring it home and make meat out of it that isn't all that great. And it shouldn't yeah. be any surprise that that's, that's going to be a problem, you know, because if the honey isn't that great, you're not going to make great meat out of it, that's for sure. So totally. you kind of want to make sure that, you know, the honey you use is going to be good honey and that, you know, there's only one way to really do that other than having a bunch of people who all use the same honey um, tell you to taste it and then you taste it and you go, oh, I don't think that's all that great. Um, so that's why you need to go out and taste it. You need to, to taste that honey and find out, you know, what you like about it, uh, if you don't like it, what you dislike about it. And, and uh, you know, got meat is a great resource for that, uh, you know, when when people are looking for honey, uh, number one, and I'll just jump into this, it's like uh, before you even taste the honey, get an idea of what it is that you like. Do you like wine? Do you like, you know, scotch? Do you like whiskey? Do you like gin? 
um, you know, do you drink mixed drinks or do you drink it straight up? Um, if you do drink mixed drinks uh, or beer or wine or, you know, any other kind of beverage, it's a good idea to kind of find those taste elements that you like and try to find, you know, an end product that's going to be similar to what it is that you like a lot. Or are you just looking for something completely different than what you're tasting? So than what you're normally used to drinking. So, you know, that, that first big step is, is kind of narrowing down what it is you want to make. What is the end product I desire? Is it dry? Is it sweet? Is it sparkling? Is it spicy? Is it hot? Is it, you know, mild? Does it fill the mouth? Is it crisp? Does it, you know, tease the palate? You know, these are, these are all things that you really have to take into consideration before you run out and spend a couple hundred bucks on honey and then make mead and then have it not turn out what you're, you know, looking for. So mm-hmm. my, my first bit of advice is to find the things that you like, that you drink, that are either adult beverages or, hey, if you like Coca-Cola, that's the thing to go for. But uh, if, if you don't, then find something else, you know. So start, start working with the flavors that you're used to, that you know, and start trying to track those down in the, in the honey that you can find. Excellent advice. And something that uh, comes up, and you were saying that a lot of guys, if you if you check in with local suppliers or, or some of the big regional suppliers, people like Beef Folks or um, or some of the ones that are out in the West these days, Pete. Oh gosh, um, yeah, everybody from you know Bud Ashurst to the Beekman and Beekman people to the Beekman and Beekman. Yeah, I was thinking of the bigger ones. Yeah, the more the regionally based rather than the local guys. You know, but in any case, though, a lot of them, and I've seen this at farmers markets. I have seen this on online stores. Will have those honey sticks where you can actually get samples for a very reasonable price, like a buck or buck fifty. I mean, they're not very expensive of each style of honey you know, or type of honey that you want. And that way you can get a sense of what it tastes like. Never had Tupelo? Great. Get a Tupelo honey stick. Find out what it tastes like before you go spending $200 on it. Or in the case of Tupelo, $300 on it. Right. And that's what's really important is, you know, do your research first. Uh, you know, this is, a, I don't know about everybody else, but if I'm spending 200 bucks, I want to make sure that I get what I want. Not what, yeah. you know, I think is okay or not what I just happened onto and looked good at the time. Uh, I'm I'm very particular that way. If I'm going to spend the money that I go to work for, and I you know drive into the office and drive home every day, and I'm going to be stressed out on both of those drives, because people in this state tend to try and kill you without really even realizing they are. Um, <laughs> the whole thing is, uh, if I'm buying something to do on my spare time and as not as a profession, I want to get something good. I want to get something that I like. I want to get something that I know I can make into something that's going to be great. But what I don't want is some average piece of junk or some, you know, honey that just is nondescript and doesn't do anything for me. It makes no sense for me to do that. And maybe maybe it's different for other people, but for me, I'm a particular SOB, and I like things a certain way, and I do things a certain way because I know they're going to give me what I want, and that makes me mm-hmm. happy. And so yeah. as long as I've got the, the right stuff to work with that I know is going to yield the, the need that I'm after, then I'm usually a pretty happy guy. Okay. So are there any... <sighs> I mean, there are some widely known varieties that are out there of honey, you know, varietals of honey, like orange blossom, California and Florida. Right. They're very different, but they're also fairly widely distributed, both varieties. 
your wildflower, which does vary a fair amount because of who knows what wildflowers. But there are some varieties that you can sort of make some, you know, some maybe some semi-generalizations around what you might want to use it for. Sure. You know, uh, in terms of like a type of meat or what have you, to give people some kind of an idea of what they can help to narrow it down. Well, yeah, there's, if you go that way, and I, I kind of, you know, I kind of, you know, get that. I'm, I'm still more of a, a taste. The taste of the actual honey itself is probably going to be a, a large determination factor in what it is you're going to make. And that coupled with the yeast and the characteristics of the yeast are, will probably what are going to drive your end product. So and by that, I mean, you know, people go, yeah, I use dark honey to make a, you know, a really strong dessert kind of meat that's going to last for years. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good, you know, a pretty good thumbnail sketch. But what kind of dark honey? You know, and yeah. we get down to the buck, eastern buckwheat versus western buckwheat. Some people don't yeah. know the difference. But, but boy, the very first time you smell one versus the other, you'll know the difference forever. Oh, yeah. Especially if yeah, you totally. It, if you spend a couple hundred dollars on it, you make a six-gallon batch of it, and you've got this stuff that is going to take eight years to finally calm down. And maybe that's mm-hmm. in your game plan. That's fine. But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, it's... You know, if you're making your first meat, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to drink it within a year, you know, at some point. So, you know, maybe having the long game as part of your long-term strategy is a better idea rather than the long game as your short-term strategy. So my my advice would be to find um, a good honey that you like, um, whether that's amber, whether that's water white, whether that's dark, I think is up to you. But, you know, if you want to make... Just like a good standard straight tradition, traditional that's going to be drinkable in a fairly, you know, and by need terms in a fairly short amount of time. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be a couple real common honeys, orange blossom, clover, wildflower. If you're going to get wildflower, then my advice would be to get local wildflower from people that you can actually talk to that can tell you where their hives were. Because yeah. you get something... If you get something, like out here in California, for instance, and in a very short drive away from me, the wildflowers vary wildly. So they are definitely wildflower honey blossom uh, or blossom derived honeys. Uh, and they all okay. taste wildly different. Um, up in uh, an area around San Dimas, around Puddingstone Lake, there's a, uh, there's a reservoir up there. And after the first spring rain, we get a lot of, you know, wild sumac flowers. Uh, blooming and the bees swarm the stuff out of that and it's a very dark honey with a very distinct flavor it's not bad but it's distinct and uh, it's something that you need to be aware of because at the same time there's you know orange trees in the same general vicinity so at a lot of at a lot of times earlier in the year around here you'll get a combination of sumac and orange blossom which is actually a pretty good combination it's uh i've had some folks in the brew club that i'm in uh, make uh, a combination of orange blossom and sumac honey uh, traditional lead and gold medals for, you know, several years running out there at the Orange County Fair. So it's, nice. it's just, yeah, it's, you know, it's what really works with it. And again, that gets all the way back to tasting it and knowing the honey that you're going to be using. And yeah, that, that information doesn't come cheap and it doesn't come without effort. But again, it's like anything else. If you're not willing to put in the effort, why bother? Mm-hmm. You know, go and buy, well, it, go a, and buy it off the shelf and enjoy it. Exactly, it's an expense. It's become a much more expensive, less 
10 years or so as the price of honey has skyrocketed. So, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, we were, I used to be able to buy a five-gallon bucket for 60, 60 bucks plus whatever it cost me to have it shipped. And now you can't even get a gallon of honey for that in some cases. Yeah. It's it's gone you know? you know it's gone up and up and up dramatically and um, I, I credit some of that to the to the uh, you know the whole uh, CCD the colony collapse disorder and the kind of uh, you know media attention it's drawn um, to folks yeah. that just capitalize and and raise the honey prices that they've got because they know they can and they'll get away with it and people are desperate for it so you know and yeah. you can't blame somebody that's got a supply uh, to be able to get the price that they, you know, that they're able to based on the demand. And, you know, that's what the system's all built on. And so I don't, I don't bitch about that. I just, you know, want to get honey at the best price that I can. So I look around yeah. and I taste, I look around and I taste. And getting back to the farmer's markets, which you mentioned earlier, that's a great place to go. Um, one mm-hmm. thing to be aware of is that a lot of these farmer's markets, like here in Southern California, we got uh, guys that are coming in, in Fullerton, the, the general vicinity that I live in, that are coming all the way in from San Jose or up Northern California or way down past San Diego. So uh, the question to ask is, where's the honey from? Where were the hives located? You know, where are you putting your hives? When was this, you know, when was the flow that it came from? Was it spring flow or fall flow? You know, what do you do? Do you filter? Do you heat? You know, most of these guys just, you know, run it through a cheesecloth, put it in the, put it in the bottle and sell it. So, yeah. um, the honey's going to be a little more expensive because it's basically, you know, untreated and it's direct from the hive just about, but uh, mm-hmm. you generally get really good honey that way. And so just something to be aware of. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. And so you know, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, I was going to say, you know, on, on the kind of honey and all that, and the other thing is, you know, mentioned farmers markets, um, get hold of your local beekeeper society. Uh, go to one of the meetings, talk to the people there, maybe some of the people there sell it. Maybe they've got unique hive placement, you know, maybe, you know, just about uh, 45 minutes away from me right now, there's a farm called uh, Rusty Acres that has nothing but lavender, all kinds oh. of different lavender. And, nice. they, you know, I know that they're putting hives out there now. So, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. And so if you can hook up with a beekeeper that has unique hive placement or just good solid, you know, like orange grove or citrus grove of any kind or a certain kind of flower um, that's really like the honey from, um, those are the guys to talk to. And if they don't have it, maybe there's someone they know that does. They can introduce mm-hmm. you to people or they may know farmers that have stuff out there in the field that... Uh, you know, it's going to be beneficial or going to yield a good beneficial kind of honey. Some of that, nice. I guess if I was going to be, you know, recommending honeys from uh, the, the West Coast, I'd be looking at, uh, you know, everything from orange blossom and uh, Western buckwheat to, uh, which you can find at sumac honey is actually very good. Um, avocado honey, uh, another mm-hmm. dark honey that's very good. Um, there's also mesquite. There's, uh, if you can find it, macadamia nut blossom honey, good luck finding it anymore. It's very difficult and also yeah. expensive now. Uh, yeah. There is star thistle, there's fireweed, there's carrot honey. Um, metal foam. Don't forget metal, metal foam, foam, my favorite. Yeah, again, another, <laughs> yeah. One that, another, another one that got really, really um, popular and the price soared up, so it's not worth it to buy it anymore to me because... 
You know, yeah. everybody bought it. Everybody made meat from it, and there was a lot of bad meat made from it. Yes, there opinion. was. Yeah. And so, again, just buying a good honey doesn't guarantee a great need. It just guarantees that, you know, you've got good honey to start with. And, you know, and how you mm-hmm. treat it and what you treat it with is really the next part of the game, and that's where we get into the yeast. Once you've got the honey, once you've tasted the honey, and I recommend having your friends taste it too, because they're going to taste things you don't and vice versa. And uh, it's also good not to work in the dark on things like this. Uh, it's very easy to convince yourself you've got a great palate um, until somebody sits down next to you and says, wow, that's kind of interesting. I never never tasted honey that tastes like African violets before. And it's like, oh, I didn't even taste that. And now that you say it, yeah, I get that. So these are things that, you know, a little objectivity by bringing in a couple of different palates that, you know, are unknown quantities um, might, might be helpful with. Yeast is one of the main determining factors on which direction your meat is going to go, just like it is with wine and beer. Um, the yeast, you know, as it goes through the process of fermentation and then follows with esterification and, you know, all of the other influences that it has post-fermentation and right up to the end of fermentation. Um, so they're, they're very, you know, they're very profound on the end product in many cases. Um, while the taste will be similar by using certain yeasts, um, other yeasts will have dramatically different kind of results. Um, basically, you have um, a couple of different, you know, sub um, you know, genus and species of uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. You have Saccharomyces cerevisiae, cerevisiae, and Saccharomyces cerevisiae bayanus, or Saccharomyces bayanus, whichever one you want to go to as far as the subspecies go. Um, but the two of them have uh, some different characteristics, and um, in each one of those, you know, uh, species, you'll find that uh, they have different fermentation kinetics. And we mentioned before that uh, certain yeasts, you know, we talked about sulfites, and people were like, well, I don't want to use sulfites in my meat. That's fine, but just be aware that there's certain yeasts out there that produce a lot of sulfite during fermentation. And if you're not treating it properly, it'll produce even more. And I mentioned that there are certain cooked or own yeast that'll produce up to 225 parts per million of sulfite. Wow. Is, you know, <laughs> Yeah, so you have to be very selective about the type of yeast that you're using and make sure that you know about the yeast that you're using. Keep it in the temperature range that it wants. Keep it in the pH range that it wants. Keep it in the nitrogen range that it wants. If you treat it right, it'll treat you well. If you don't, it's going to, you know, it's going to take over and do what it wants. So keep it on track and you'll be fine. But the question people always ask is, well, how do I know which yeast to use? Okay, that goes back to those other drinks that you like, that kind of wine that you like. Let's say you, you, you're a Chablis fan like I am. You like a, you know, you like to feel like you're sucking on a rock and eating a lemon at the same time. You get that, you know, lemony kind of uh, feeling on the on the lips, that kind of like that essence of Meyer lemon. You get that nice mineral character uh, from the, um, you know, the flavor of uh, everything from oyster shell to to rock. Um, so, gosh, how do you match that yeast up with honey? Well, you want to find a maybe a blend of honeys or a couple of different honeys that are kind of uh, kind of like that. Uh, one of the things I really like to use with uh, um, a yeast that will be in the, the white burgundy slash chablis um, 
in the CY3079 kind of uh, category there would be, uh, I like mesquite honey with that. Um, okay. it, also works really, it also works really, really well with scar thistle honey and fireweed. Um, those are two good honeys to match up to a CY3079. Um, it also works well, crazily enough, with D21, which is nothing like a Chablis yeast or a CY3079, <laughs> which is used in in uh, you know Chardonnay. So there's there's similarities and there's dissimilarities. And so my advice is, once you've got the honey you like, write those flavors down, and then go through um, a yeast chart and find out you know flavors that are similar on that chart from red grapes, white grapes, or, you know, different kinds of beverages uh, that you may like and, and see, you know, if, it, if it's wine. And I'm going I'm to use wine as an example because it's an easy example to use and the research is all out there and the flavor mm-hmm. profiles are out there. If you, if you go through wine and you read about each one of the yeast, it'll accent certain things. Uh, D80, for instance, um, great yeast, great for hot weather, brings a lot of acid presence. Uh, but not much in the way of tannin. So if you're making uh, like a blackberry melomel or a uh, blackcurrant melomel or, you know, any kind of a dark berry melomel, um, you're going to want some of that acid up there, but you're also going to want some tannin. So maybe you want to run a separate batch of the same thing using D21 or D254 or the BM4 by 4 Any one of those will bring some nice uh, fine-grained tannin on the finish to kind of balance out and help uh, soften that, you know, upfront acid. Um, okay. And maybe at the end of all that, you know, the fermentation you taste it, it needs an acid supplement. At that point, then you want to take a look at supplementing with acid. But, you know, we've talked about this too. There's some of the old school recipes that you see on the old Usenet lists and, you know, running around yeah. the Wildcat DB boards and through even uh, you know, some of the old... <laughs> all the ones you had being take down off. Yeah, those ones. You had me take all those down. <laughs> right. They're all, you know, asking for making adjustments before you've even done fermentation, which I, which doesn't make any sense at all. Um, in my yeah. opinion, there's other people that think you should. That's great. Um, I've had much better um, success with making my adjustments at the end when I know exactly what needs to be adjusted, rather at the beginning when I have no idea based on know where the fermentation is going to go so okay take some time run through the yeast chart take a look at what it is you're making where you want it to be find those flavors and characters that are described in the yeast and in the grapes themselves you know you know if, if you're looking at uh national from portugal you want to go in there and google up that grape and you know, read the read the flavor descriptions, read the aroma descriptions, read the descriptions of what the juice tastes like before it's even fermented, um, and then take a look at the yeast that they use to ferment that, you know, the different kinds of uh, yeast. BA11 would be one that would jump out of me. That's a, a good one for that particular grape. Uh, you know, it's going to bring the characteristics out. And, you know, so you, you really do have to spend the time and one way to shortcut is by going out to that meet onto the forums and asking people, hey, I've got this great honey. It's got these flavors. And I'm looking at these yeasts that I think are kind of similar to those flavors based on the kind of grapes that they ferment with them and the end product of wine. And so, you know, which yeast do you think matches up best to this one? 
uh, and solicit some opinions. That doesn't mean you're bound by what the opinions tell you, but what it does do is it gives you some insight as to where other people think that yeast matches up to. And again, as mm-hmm. many different people as there are that are making mead with that yeast, you're going to have a hundred different opinions on which one's going to be the best. Oh, yeah. That's just the nature. That's just the nature of the palate and the mead making and how things work. That's the human. That's the human experience right there. Everybody has a different opinion because. You know, we're all individuals. We all taste differently. We all smell differently in more ways than one. So going out and soliciting expert opinions from other people is a great thing to do because they'll have some insight as to what they did, what they liked, what they didn't like, and how it matched up with the honey. And uh, in, in many cases, there will be people out there that have some tried and true recipes that they'd be willing to share. So that's a good place to yeah. go and to help kind of narrow down what it is you're, you're trying to get. And if you get into the patron level, which, you know, is hardly anything at all in terms of cost, it's there are tried and true recipes. These are recipes that are metal winners, recipes that have been made by multiple people and have come out consistently well. So that's a good place where you can start getting some ideas of how what pairs with which. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's really important. Uh, you know, one of the things that you do have to be careful of is... Uh, is when you're out on meat forums, um, whether it's got meat or any other meat forum out there, um, you'll see people saying, oh, this recipe's great, this recipe's great, this recipe's great. And, and that's all well and good, but, you know, you really don't know what you've got unless there's somebody else out there that says, yeah, I've tried this one, it actually is really great. And yeah. So that's what we've done in the patron section of Got Meat, and I rule that little section with an iron fist. Yes, you do. <laughs> We don't want, you know, we're saying, you know, we're number one, we're getting people to donate money to the site to help the site run. And number two, you know, we want to show them that we appreciate that. And so that's why we put, you know, limited um, access kind of recipes in there, recipes that are tried and true, that have been proven, that are metal winners. Um, and uh, they're put together in a certain format that I tell people that they need to write them down in, you know, at the top of that section so that, when you go in there, it's easy to navigate the different recipes. And when you mm-hmm. read one recipe, the format is going to be similar, you know, from recipe to recipe. While the ingredients will be different, the methodologies may be different. The format that they put it in into that uh, uh, into the recipe section uh, on the patron section of thatmead.com is going to be fairly common. So it's a little bit easier to navigate and not get all tripped up on when you're trying to make a mead that you want to, you know, have turn out well. Um, yeah. So, and, and and again, we get back to the geez, That's a lot of work. How about some links? Well, you know, honestly, if you're not willing to spend the time to number one, track down the best honey you can find. Number two, find a yeast that matches up to it. Number three, putting that all together into you know what you want to make, and then asking questions about it, and getting opinions on it, and matching it up to to other things that are out there on the forums and such. It's you know, do you really want to spend two hundred dollars and just go hog wild and have something turn out terrible, or do you want to spend two hundred bucks, uh, do some research, and, get a good feeling yeah. about what you want to make, get some opinions, and have something turn out great? Yeah, true. And actually, I mean, you're right. You should spend the. I mean, you should if you want good mead, you need to spend some time learning and researching and asking questions. But there actually are a couple of really good links. Uh, one of which is obviously gotmead.com because you know I'm prejudiced. But um, 
the other one that, and I ran, actually muted myself and ran out, scampered out into the hallway to grab my UC Davis honey wheel. Because going back to where you were talking about trying to find a, you know, taste the honey and pull out the flavors and identify what it is you like and don't like and what you're feeling and, you know, what you're tasting on this. So those of you that are like I was when I first started tasting mead, you're like, well, I'm tasting this, but I don't know how to describe it. And I'm having trouble with it. UC Davis is PSA time. UC Davis has actually come up with a honey flavor wheel. And this thing has got all this areas where you can sort of pinpoint what it is that you're finding in the honey or in a mead that you're drinking even. And, and there, you can put a name to the flavors, which will help you when you're researching your yeasts and your honeys for the descriptions that you get so that you can then sort of match things up. It does help. And um, for those of you who are interested, you can go to honey.ucdavis.edu and just click on products, and it's right there at the top, and you can buy yourself your very own honey flavor wheel, and this will help you a lot, especially if you are new to honey and mead. This can be a real game changer for you. So Absolutely. I just had to get that in there. Great resource. Yeah. 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 I, I love this thing. It's like I keep it in this little case, you know, in this little envelope because I don't want to bend it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like I really have got to – I'm going to talk to him and see about getting a supply of those for Got Mead, I think, so that we can sell them on the site. But I got to talk to her about that. So, yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. So, yeah, it's you know, the, how do you know which honey not to use? That's just a good question to ask on on gotme.com is which honey should I use or which honeys are are good honeys to use? Because there's some honeys out there that you know you just plain don't like or people don't like in general or may just not float your boat. You know, for me, it's always going to be the big two are are linden. Um, which I don't care for at all, and uh, Eastern buckwheat. I don't care for Eastern buckwheat honey at all. Yeah, me neither. And Chris had said, uh, Chris from Chris from Mississippi, who calls in almost every week on the live show. Um, Chris, Chris has been making a lot of meads, and he says that some of the honeys are getting down there in Mississippi. The plants that the bees are getting to create a really bitter honey. So he's actually roaming further afield to get honeys because. What he's getting locally just really isn't what he's looking for in a mead. Yeah. So can you can have a regional you can have a regional thing, yeah. Yeah. And if you're getting, you know, flower, you know, honey from blossoms that are in the swamp, depending on if it's got running water or standing water, that can make a big difference too. Yeah, so or, or for that like matter. In a river or something like that, you know, it's if it's not circulating, mm-hmm. it's stagnant, you're probably gonna get um a, a flavor that you're not so fond of. Yeah, yeah, sort of a muddier honey. And the other thing I've noticed, too, is depending on how um, urban the area where the bees are is. I mean, if there's a lot of stuff growing along places where there's a lot of traffic, then you've got those plants getting whatever they pick up from cars and trucks and so forth. So that's such sort of thing about yeah. people don't really think about that. Yeah, it's true, and so the, the things that you have to think of, and that comes back again to the yeast choice and uh, um, matching that up to the honey. One of the other things is, is uh, you know, we talked about the yeast and the grape types and the flavor profiles and such of the, the wine that they make and what kind of attributes the yeast contributes during the fermentation. The next thing to think about is, the, you know, the region that the yeast and the grapes and the wine are from, um, how it yeah. all comes together. 
know how that profile actually happens. Do they, you know, at this time of year, for instance, here in scenic Southern California, it's hotter than, you know, Hooterville. You know, it's, it's you know, running the AC 24-7 trying to keep up with the, the, the temperature gauge. But uh, I don't want to be making need right now because I know at the very least I'm going to, going to have to really crank the temperature way down and that means adding to the electricity load which is already high just to keep the house cool um so uh, what you don't want to do is take a cold weather yeast like uh w15 from the Badensville, the swiss style yeast they used to make some of their nice crisp white yeasts up there in switzerland uh, and try to ferment that at uh you know in 90 degree yeah. weather and expect it to turn out good <clears throat> please play again yeah, you know it's, an, it's another case of you know not doing your research and uh, not really making common sense decisions. Hmm, cold weather yeast. Hmm, slow cold fermentation. Yeah, let's do that ninety degree weather. It's out of turn. Okay. Yeah. No. yeah, I've learned so, the hard way that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, and so that's it really, and it's fine if you want to do a hot weather fermentation, but at least find a hot weather yeast. D eighty, D twenty one, D forty. Uh, I wouldn't say D47 quite so much, but some of the other southern rum yeast that uh, they use to make the coke rums and uh, uh, even some of the, the Spanish uh, uh, varietals like Rioja and Riviera del Duero and such, they're going to have you know much better success with uh, a warmer weather yeast, and especially a red wine fermenting yeast that's used to hitting temperatures of up into the 90s. Um, yeah, you're going to have better luck with that than you are going to be with something like, uh, you know, Cuvée Blanc or what they used to call the Epernay 2, which is, you know, it likes it nice and slow and cold. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, realistically here again, this is, goes back to research. Every major yeast manufacturer somewhere on their site has a table. Here's what we have. Here's the temperature range. Here's the kind of grapes it likes, you know, and so forth and so on. They give you to varying levels of detail, but almost Everyone I've seen, anyway, says this yeast likes this temperature range. You know, at right. the very least, you get that much. So, you know, don't, like you say, if you're going to be fermenting in your kitchen and your air is kind of flaky and it's been over 100 degrees for the last three weeks and, you know, in your house is hovering around 80, don't use something that likes to be at 65. Right. And start your meat at a predictable time of the season so that, you know, for the next four weeks, it's going to be, you know, in the 60s and 70s, perfect mead-making weather. You know, you yeah. can make your mead with a, with a minimum of temperature control, but, you know, you need just need to be aware of that as well. Um, other things to be aware of are, you know, water. You know, what kind of water you got here? Do you buy filtered water? Is spring water yeah. available? Do you have well water? Do you have water like me that, like, in two weeks will, you know, completely crest over a shower head? So, you oh, know, you wow, that hard? Yeah. Dang. So we've got really hard water. Plus, there's a lot of chlorine and, and chlorinol in it, so I have to be kind of care, careful about that. We have a um, we have a well, and it comes through a quarry, so it's coming through granite and sandstone. Pretty clean yeah, stuff. Yeah, getting real nice and clean water there. Not so much here. Um, yeah. <laughs> now you got the you know the water ticked off. You got your honey ticked off. You got your yeast ticked off. You got your time of year ticked off. Um, what about uh, what you're going to ferment in? Do you have a carboy? Do you have a fermentation bucket? Are you going to try to do it in a you know a five gallon paint bucket from Home Depot? Not recommended. Um, mm, or a pickle bucket. Getting, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no pickle bucket. Attention to what you're going to be fermenting in. 
and, and you know, get all your stuff set up. Uh, do a dry run just using some water. Take the water out and pour it on your plants after you're done so you don't waste it. But, um, yeah. you know, fill your bucket up with water. Uh, stick your, uh, you know, your long-handled stir spoon in it if that's what you're using. And when you're at five gallons, put a tick on it and then take a gallon off and then put another tick on it at four gallons, three, two, and one. That way you have a way of measuring what's actually in the bucket. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't do that. It's, it's a real easy one to miss. So now that you've got yeah. all those things nailed down, then it's time to move on to what about a recipe? I've never made a recipe before. Well, you've got this honey, you've got this yeast, you've got water set, you've got your fermentation equipment set. Take that all out, bundle it up, and go up on degotme.com, post in the newbie section saying, hey, this is what I want to make. This is the honey I have. This is the yeast that I have. This is the equipment that I have. What can I realistically make here that's going to turn out well at this time of year? Excellent question. And so that's where you, you know, go in, you post it up, and you're going to get a, a bunch of different opinions on that. So you're going to have to weed through some of it. Somebody comes on with a, something that sounds really good, I'd recommend that you click on their uh, their name that they post as and find some of their other posts and see if they're consistent in what they're saying. See if they know what they're saying. You've got some people there that, you know, have posted, you know, 8,000 posts and they actually know what they're talking about. Those are the kind of people that you want to have, you know, giving you advice. If there's somebody there that's been, that's got one or two posts, maybe you want to rethink what they're talking about and see if they kind of jives with what other people are saying. But yeah, that, sometimes the they're very least. talented people who just found us late, but sometimes, yeah, they're yeah. Yeah, people exactly. who and so, yeah, are actually so want, new, but just have a lot of opinion, you know. Right. And we've seen that quite a bit too. There's plenty of people out there <laughs> that just want to get their opinion on everything because they can. Uh, that's yeah. great. But uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they really know what they're talking about. So at the very yeah. least, once you've engaged with someone who's giving you some good, solid advice, follow the advice for crying out loud. The worst thing in the world, the thing that pisses me off more than anything else, is to spend the time typing out step-by-steps and telling people how to make a certain thing and how it'll turn out and how to make it turn out that way and have them go, oh, you know, I didn't keep any... Uh, I didn't keep any pH or acid readings, but right now it's uh, it's stalled, and I want to know why. Well, guess what? Um, yeah. Gosh, I've got to get to the store. You know, so yeah. good luck. I hear my that. mother calling me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and seriously, guys, he's talking. About, we've got people who, with years of experience, like Pete, like you know, there's what twenty, thirty people who regularly respond to posts, and they give great detail about questions and then people will go well i know you told me to do a b and c but i really decided to do d e and f and now i don't know why it's not working the way you said it would it's like well um you didn't follow what i gave you so i don't know how to help you now so people out there you know if some if somebody helps you do that (laughs) right and that's the whole thing if if they're taking the time to give you you know some some good well-founded advice, follow the advice. And if you don't, don't have, you know, don't be so audacious and come back and say, hey, you know, I didn't follow your advice, but it's not working, so how do I fix it? Because nine times out of ten, they're going to go, well, did you follow the advice? No, why not? Uh, yeah. I don't know. You know, then yeah. back to being like a five-year-old kid. Why'd you like the couch on fire? Oh, I don't know. So <laughs> I did <it's>, know. <laughs> Yeah, and so 
you know, if, if you're going to engage them and, and spend their time, at least spend it wisely and follow the advice. And don't don't act surprised when you don't follow their advice and it doesn't work and you come back and you ask for more advice. If they say, you know, why would I do that? Because you've already proven that you're not going to follow advice. Why would I waste my time a second time around? Yeah. And if that's the case and you stepped in it, you know, and you really do want their advice, you really are going to follow it this time around, apologize and tell them so and then hope to give you more advice. And if they don't, then don't be pissed off at them. Be pissed off at yourself because you didn't follow it in the first place. Yeah, and remember that these guys are just like you. They're out there making me. They don't get paid to do this. They don't get any kind of compensation. Well, okay, I do give them free patron memberships, but that's not like a big deal money-wise. So, you know, they... You know, they're doing this because they love to make meat and want to help other people make good meat. So if you want to make good meat and you ask an experienced person for help and they give you an answer and, you know, you can choose not to follow anything you want to do. That's your choice. But don't tell somebody you're going to do it, then do something different and then get mad at them when it didn't work the way they said it would. So yeah, and we right. see that a lot, believe it or not. We see that a lot more than we'd like to because it's kind of sad. You know, yeah, I can't tell you the number of private messages I've gotten saying that this recipe doesn't work. Well, why doesn't it work? Well, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not the recipe I had out there. Yeah, but how come it doesn't work? Um, because you didn't follow the recipe. But why doesn't it work? Because you're stupid and you shouldn't be making meat. Next. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, so you run out of patience people, to a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and and that's that's a point that you know it, it's sad to get to, but it, you know after being asked thousands of questions and giving thousands and thousands of answers back and having you know less than thousands of people actually follow the advice that you're giving them, it gets really frustrating. So, and I think that's one of the main reasons that drove us to put the patron section up there is, you know, yeah. let, let's, now let's talk about that for a second. I know this isn't on the paper, J.D., and we're probably running long, but I, I just want to talk about that for a couple of seconds here. 25 bucks. Let's let's put it this way. You've got 25 bucks that you're investing in going in and finding a minimum of 25 recipes that are going to be ass-kicking and a minimum of 25 recipes that are going to basically help you produce a mead that is a $25-a-bottle caliber mead. So if you make a five-gallon batch of outstanding mead that, you know, you would find and compare to anything on the shelf at 25 bucks a throw, um, in a five-gallon batch, you're going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25 bottles. So for that 25 bucks, you just produce 25 bottles of $25-level mead. You know, how is that not an outstanding investment? How so, that, how is that not amazing when it hasn't changed in what fifteen years? That price yeah. has not gone up with inflation. So. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's one of the things to bear in mind. It's twenty five bucks. Really, I mean, that's you know, in gasoline down here in Southern California, three fifty a gallon. You know, that's <clears throat> doesn't buy you very far. Um, and and if you're buying a cup of coffee every morning at uh, Two bucks a cup, you know, that's only going to take you 12 days to get close to that. So, you know, the yeah. people just, for some reason, think that advice should always be free and they should be able to get all the advice they want for free. And they don't understand that there's a lot more going on in this than really meets the eye. There's a lot of background maintenance that people don't see. I'm on those boards all the time looking for spammers and 
making adjustments oh, yeah. to accounts and resetting passwords and this and that and the other thing. So Mickey's doing uh, I've been the rebuilding the, just, Yeah, I've been rebuilding the site for four months in my spare time. I mean, right, exactly. you know, so, every spare minute I have. <laughs> so, well, well, it doesn't look like there's much going on except the asking of questions and the posting of articles on the, you know, on the main site. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. And, you know, and like Vicky said, I'm not getting any money out of this. Neither is she. The money goes to support the site, to keep it running, to, you know, to buy the domain name, to register the domain name, to, you know, make sure we have enough disk space to make sure when we get overloaded, we can, you know, get more resource on there. And, you know, it, it goes, it gets more expensive every year. So just be aware and, uh, you know, buy those patron memberships because if you want to bring your need making to a whole new level, that's the way to do it. Exactly. And, you know, to, uh, to, to do a shout out, there has been a lot of people, thank you all of you who have bought patron memberships, new patron memberships since the radio show started, because I've seen a lot of you and I could spend the next 20 minutes listing all of you, but I just want to say thank you in a group. Thank you, thank you. That's so awesome to see you coming on and doing this because you are picking a good time. There's a whole lot more new cool stuff coming, and it's going to be rolling out. God help me, assuming I can get it all done very soon. <laughs> and um, so you'll see, you're going to see a lot of stuff happening. And as Pete says, just the patrons section alone on the forum is worth more than what you pay for, you know, and it gets better every day. Absolutely. So, uh, and that means so, really kind of like making need, you know, you go out there, you look around, you do your research, you find stuff that you like, you emulate it, uh, you turn it into something that you've made and, uh, hopefully it turns out great. And with the kind of advice you can get on got need and, um, from the, uh, from the thousands of other, you know, members that are out there on the board, I think you've got a really good, uh, shot at doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate that, you know, that kind of support, Pete. Thanks. JD is telling me that uh, we're close to it, and as usual, we've uh, talked our way through a good three-quarters of an hour. So, <laughs> um, once again, thank you. And I think we've got some good things that hopefully will spur some interesting questions going forward around honey, yeast, and recipes. Again, if you put in a recipe at the forum on the site, just go look for the link on the Got Mead forums or on the show page, which you'll find linked pretty much all over everywhere. Fill out the Ask Oscar form. We need details. Do not give us a, my mead looks funny, what should I do? Yeah, we can't help you with that, and you won't get answered. So details, details, details. If it's a recipe, we need everything. Ingredients, measurements, notes, everything. Do not hold back. We can't read your mind. So, you know. Give us good information, and we'll give you great answers, but you got to help us out here. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to getting – we're getting more and more stuff every week. So, you know, keep it coming, guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. But, and, you know, I'd just like to echo that and say, hey, you know, this is the best the best need resource on the web. And I'm not saying that to advertise. I'm just like – I look at the people that are posting up on the forum right now and, and in the past several years, and it's like I just look at this, and it's some really solid information with really knowledgeable people. So I don't know of anywhere that you could go short of, you know, you know, tracking somebody down and holding them hostage in your uh, basement uh, to get that kind of information. So, <laughs> don't give JD do any that. ideas. <laughs> don't give JD any ideas, Pete. You don't live that far away. 
He's got to get through my uh, defense systems here. <laughs> that's true. That's true. There's the trip wires and, and, and all that stuff. So, all right. Um, so uh, we're going to wind up this, this episode of Ask Oscar. Thanks, Pete. Thanks again. Sure. Happy to have you. Happy to be there. Wow. Another Ask Oscar. And I'll tell you, talking about honey, Vicky. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit, spent a little bit of time talking about it, uh, you know, before that Ask Oscar uh, segment. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he goes into a little bit more detail about putting the flavor profiles together. And he mentioned something that I'm going to start doing because we've got our local farmers markets that are usually have two, uh, one or two honey, uh, 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 you know, sellers uh you know at our farmers markets and they they always have these little straws of honey yeah uh, yeah honey straws are great it's a yeah. wonderful way it's a wonderful way to learn taste you know taste different varietals and most most you say the ones at the farmers markets at fairs you'll see them they have them and uh, a lot of the online uh bigger honey sellers are providing them as well because it lets you you know sort of test drive the honeys Oh yeah, and Bee Folks actually does that. You can actually buy like bundles of sticks of variety, you know, flavors and stuff, so you can get like one of everything or, you know, whatever. Um, they, yeah, so they like do a, a, a sample pack essentially. A sample pack of honey, yeah. What a beautiful and idea. It, yeah, it's a wonderful idea. I mean, she sells the heck out of those things at Ren Fairs because, of course, they're wonderful for the kids. It beats heck out of a popsicle, let me tell mm-hmm. you. But. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's it, Pete's right. It, it, taste your honeys. Don't. Go buy honey and then say what you know. Taste it and get a sense of what you like, because yeah. they're they're different. You know, listen to Chris. I mean, he says the honeys they get are great for tables, but terrible for mead because of the bitter weed and the milkweed down there in Mississippi. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not all honey is necessarily good mead making honey. Right. You know. Some of it may lend an interesting um, complexity if you blend it with something else that's better mm-hmm. for overall meat. Like I use, I uh, every time I make a traditional, I throw a kilo of uh, buckwheat in it. Yeah, but it's a like an eastern buckwheat, right? So it's that barnyard, and it's only really you, you can blend. You no, know, I never it, found it tasted or smelled like a barnyard. It just it's a it's a very different tasting honey. It is, yeah. <laughs> Okay, it's well, just that I, I don't. I, I'm pretty familiar with barnyards, and I don't find it tastes or smells like that. Well, then it's probably a different than the buckwheat you're getting up there. Is probably just it's is different from. And there's multiple varieties. Western buckwheat and east Western U.S. buckwheat and Eastern U.S. buckwheat are very very different. Yeah, I don't and know if Canadian buckwheat is something different altogether, but... Uh, I'd be willing to bet it is, because they've also got a buckwheat over in Poland that they make amazing needs out of as yeah. with it as a primary honey, and it's nothing like anything I've tasted here. Well, I think what it, you know, a, lot of, a lot of times what it boils down to, you mentioned it uh, during the Ask Oscar segment too, Vicky, is where's that plant being grown? What's it being watered with? What you know, Is it next to a highway? Is it... Uh, you know, next to a swamp, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, that, that'll also affect uh, what goes into that plant. Also, oh, yeah. What goes into the pollen. And, of course, the pollen is what's connect, uh, collected and uh, so on and so forth. So, Yeah, but, yeah uh, and you have to pay attention to that. Yeah. But uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show here tonight. Uh, wanna, uh, we always try to mention, uh, make, a, make a, uh, a nice little mention here at the end of the show. 
and uh, talk about somebody that's uh, in the forums. I found one here today. This is coming from uh, Papa Scout uh, from the GotMe.com forum. Uh, and I'll tell you, if you're in Nolens, I think that's how you say it. Nolens. N-A-W-L-I-N-S. Nolens. If you're in Nolens, uh, you can join Papa <laughs> Scout. Uh, he's going to be uh, hosting a meat tasting event in the French Market Inn on the corner of St. Louis and Decatur Streets on Saturday, February 6th at 9 p.m. in the courtyard. Of course, this is we're talking about the 2016 uh, Mardi Gras in and Nolens. So, Damn, what uh, a good idea. Come, come down to the street and have a drink. Yeah, um, so uh, Papa Scout, uh, you're getting some free uh, free advertising. Again, yeah, pa uh, Papa Scout, if you're listening, son, send me an email, gotmead at gotmead.com with the event information, and I will see that it goes on to Got Me calendar. There you go. And uh, again, this is Saturday, February 6th at 9 p.m., at the French Market Inn uh, in uh, New Orleans. So be there or be square. Upcoming events, uh, next uh, show, next week, Susan Rude, Vicky from uh, Prairie Rose Meadery. I think she pronounces it Rude. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'll have to ask her. I can never remember. Honest. I've known the woman for like 15 years, and you know, you'd think I'd get it right, <laughs> but I never do. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, on the uh, first, we're going to have kind of a roundtable discussion. I believe this is going to take. We're going to have a party. Uh, let's just be. Let's just be honest here. Yeah, and if you <laughs> haven't heard these guys, uh, these guys put on a pretty darn good show. Tyson and Alan from the Mead make. Uh, I don't know the way they spell it. What is it? Meat makers. Just just calling the meat makers. But they take out the vowels in the second half. So, you know. Yeah, it's just going to be a roundtable discussion. We're going to be talking about mead and uh, everything about it. So uh, make sure you tune in on the 1st. That's uh, September 1st on Got Mead Live. But uh, it was a party here tonight. Thank you to Michael Fairbrother from uh, uh, from Moonlight Meadery. And I just I love this fling. Uh, a lot of good memories uh, here tonight for me with this uh, strawberry rhubarb thing. Join us next Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, right here on Got Me Live. We got a lot more show coming for you in the next few weeks. You really don't want to miss it. So we'll see you then. Night, everybody. Night, everyone.